Hello and welcome back friends to my podcast from Wisdom Studios. It is a virtual digital studio and today is the beginning of season 3 and episode 1. So are you all excited about the new season? I'm sure you are and that's wonderful. So we are all set for the pre-launch trailer or you can call it the teaser of my online learning academy. Yes. Yes friends you heard it right I am launching my online learning academy we will be offering about more than 50 courses for all of you and we have a wide range of courses to offer I will be talking about the courses soon so let's do a vintage launch for my online learning academy You can learn online and after learning the courses you can also start working online. Isn't that exciting? You can earn and learn from home. Work from home and earn lots of money. So friends we are all set for the vintage launch of the more than 50 courses that we are going to offer. So course number 1 is blog creation blueprint. Course number 2 is business web design development which is revealed in this course. Course number 3 is e-commerce website simplified. Course number 4 is search engine marketing revealed. Course number 5 is search advertising through Google Ads. And course number 6 is display advertising google ads and course number 7 is video advertising google ads and course number 8 is mobile advertising 
which all of us will definitely like and it's the most in thing mobile advertising google ads and course number 9 is shopping advertising and friends let me tell you that along with the completion of this course you will get google certified you can appear for google exams and you can give google certification exams to qualify isn't that exciting okay friends now the next set of courses are course number 10 Facebook lead generation mastery and course number 11 is YouTube traffic mastery course number 8 and 9 are together that is mobile advertising and shopping advertising course number 11 as i told you is YouTube traffic mastery and course number 12 is list building secrets course number 13 is email marketing formula course number 14 is funnel building blueprint course number 15 is search engine optimization revealed Course number 16 is Google Analytics explained. Course number 17 is mobile applications creation revealed. Here you can create mobile apps. I'm sure everyone will love this course. This is the most in thing now friends. Okay now moving on to the next set of courses course number 18 is LinkedIn marketing blueprint number 19 is Twitter advertising explained course number 20 is Pinterest ads revealed don't you think all these courses are really interesting you will love doing these courses and once you do these courses you can also start earning online we will also teach you that there are courses on freelancing and many more things to learn course number 21 quora ads mastery course number 22 is webinar sales mastery Okay friends was that exciting yes it was Turn 
Friends, let's have some fun learning. As the singer says, let's have some fun. Learning can be fun. Enjoy what you learn. Listen to some exciting music to build up the energy. Now your energy is 100% pumped up and you're ready to listen to the remaining number of courses. So friends, the singer says he doesn't want to go, he wants to learn. So let's learn and have some fun. Course number 23 is Hot Selling Course, Niche Blueprints. Course number 24, Lesson Plan Creation Blueprint. Course number 25 is Building Online Course Portal. Your learning management system setup blueprint. Aren't you excited, friends? You have such a wide range of courses, right? Enjoy. So you can choose from this wide range of courses. Course number 24 is Lesson Plan Creation Blueprint. Course number 25 is Building Online Course Portal Learning Management System Setup Blueprint as I've already mentioned just to revise it. Course number 26 is Setting Up Your Course Portal on Third-Party learning management systems. You'll be learning how to do all this. These are video courses which are self-explanatory and you'll really enjoy the courses. Course number 27 is Content Digitization Mastery. Course number 28 is Virtual Classroom Mastery. Course number 29 is setting up domain and hosting account. 
Course number 30 is Certification Exams for Google Ads. You can give your exams and get certified by Google. There are practice test sessions. Isn't that exciting? Excellent. And now course number 31 is Language Skills for Writers. Now the next range of courses are for content writing and for writers who are interested in writing. Course number 32, you will learn internet tools for writing. You learn all about writing on the internet. Course number 33 is copywriting mastery. Course number 34 is Academic Writing Success. Exciting. And friends, course number 35 is Technical Writing Simplified. Course number 36 is business writing explained. Wow, business. I'm sure everyone is excited about business writing. You can become an expert business person. You can become an entrepreneur and earn lots of money. Course number 37 is SEO, Content Writing Revealed. All the secrets are revealed, friends. And course number 38, Book Publishing Blueprint. Wow, this is wonderful. You can write your own books. You can become an author. So friends, become a world-famous author and publish your own book. Course number 39, Online Freelancing Blueprint. So you can become a freelancer from home and earn tons and tons of money. Wonderful. Course number 40 is Affiliate Income Blueprint. You can become an affiliate of many programs like an Amazon affiliate or you can become an affiliate for our own courses also if you wish to you can become a partner in the online learning academy which i have launched you can become an affiliate and earn your income by selling these courses isn't that exciting it's a good business opportunity Another big surprise, friends, we offer bundles also. So you can get access to each bundle which we offer 
to students in two different plans. Be ready for the announcement. It is the silver plan and the gold plan. Okay, so the silver plan is a six months access to the courses and the gold plan is a 12 month access to these courses. Right, and we also have six other exciting course bundles. Course bundle one is become a certified digital marketing expert. It is called the CDME. Course bundle two is become a certified content writing professional, CCWP. Course number three, bundle three is digital coaching business, DCB. Become a digital coach and start your own digital coaching business. Fantastic, don't you think? It's so exciting. Yes. And now let's look at the next set of courses. Course bundle number four is online freelancing business. As I told you, you can do your own online freelancing business. It's called OFB, online freelancing business. And you can make a lot of money by working on freelancing websites like Fiverr.com. And there are so many websites which help you to work online, like Upwork.com. And course bundle number six is Web Design Business, WDB. You can start your own web designing agency and do web designing for individuals and businessmen and business corporate houses. And you can earn a lot of money because everyone in this world will be having a website soon. So that's a, there's a lot of potential out there, friends, to make money. How did you like our courses? So friends, these courses are very practical and up to date with today's trend of learning from home and working from home and making money from home. Unlike the courses, the traditional courses which we had in school or colleges or universities, these are very practical courses. Right? So you can make money from home. Let's celebrate. Thank you for your time, friends.
Okay, friends, thank you. And I'm very grateful to you for giving your precious time and listening to the entire podcast for 20 to 25 minutes. I appreciate your time. And now the million dollar question is, how do you enroll for the courses, right? So the admissions are going to open very soon. So please keep listening to my podcast regularly so that you don't miss out on the announcement of the admission opening date. And you can make your payment online through Instamojo or Razorpay. All right. So I will be posting the payment link in the description box below in the podcast description box. So keep looking for the payment link. And as soon as you make your payment online, you will get a confirmation and you will be given access to the courses you have registered for. So don't worry, friends, it's totally automated and it's a digital world. So it's a digital video course which you can watch watch online and learn online. And once you learn this, you can also start working online and start making money online. So all the best friends, register for the courses and mint money from home. Congratulations and all the best. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hip hip hooray, dear friends. There is a wonderful, exciting good news for all my listeners, students and well-wishers internationally. The good news is, for all my international listeners and students, those who want to pursue my courses from the Online Learning Academy, can do it through PayPal. You can make your payments for the courses online through PayPal. And the payment link for PayPal is going to be given soon in the description box of the podcast. So please look forward to getting the payment link of my courses in the description box for PayPal. And another exciting news is my courses will be available in 11 different languages all over the world. Fantastic. Don't you think that's wonderful? So this is for all my students around the world, globally, who would love to do my courses in their own native languages. The other languages other than English would be Chinese. It would also be translated in Hindi, which is the third most popular language in the world. It would be translated in French, German, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Indonesian, Japanese. Wonderful for my students from Japan. And also in Arabic for the Middle East, students in Middle East from Dubai 
and other countries and also it will be translated in Italian for my Italian friends around the world Italian is the 20th most spoken language in the world so congratulations friends for taking the right decision to enroll into my course so you can make your payment using PayPal and have a wonderful time listening to my podcast workshop courses welcome to the world of podcast courses all the best god bless you bye bye and another message friends before winding up for today is if you want to leave any voice messages for appreciation if you would like to appreciate uh, any of my podcast episodes you can leave a voice message in anchor.fm voice messaging box and i will read your voice messages and respond i will reply to your voice messages so feel free to leave any voice messages regarding any questions or faqs that you have you can also leave voice messages of appreciation thank you and i really appreciate your time have a wonderful time enjoy bye bye hey welcome congratulations on enrolling in this course for enhancing your technical writing skills in this course we'll be looking at eight different modules we'll first start with understanding the overview of the technical writing field then we'll look at the types of content possible the characteristics and traits of technical writing content then we will discuss the process involved because in most organizations there is a clearly documented process for producing technical content we'll understand the overview of that then we will move on to discussion related to creating document plans and outlines whenever we start producing technical content we need to first create a document plan and probably you also have to sometimes work on the outline and submit it to the key decision makers for approval before you start working on the content creation we look at the document plan and outline creation then we'll understand a couple of tools that you will need that are being used worldwide by many experienced people in the technical writing industry we'll also look at how to collect the information that you need before you start writing the technical content and then we'll actually look at the writing process and we will also discuss writing task oriented information these are the eight modules that we will look at in this course you need to understand that writing is a skill it's also an art and that's the reason why only by practicing you will be able to refine and enhance your skills related to content writing so throughout this course as you watch each of the video tutorials once you understand the concepts we expect that you would summarize your learnings in the comment boxes below the video below every video in the course you will find a comment box which is meant for capturing your learning through that video so please make it a habit to document that as i said only by practicing you will be able to enhance your writing skills so why not start with writing your own learnings that you acquire and absorb by watching each of these videos so as i said in this video we understood the eight different modules which will be the focus for our discussion throughout this course so before you go to the next video quickly summarize in the comment box the eight modules that we mentioned please do that before you watch the next video so let us start our discussion we will start with understanding the introduction to technical writing so in this video we will look at the meaning of a technical writer what is a technical writer do 
and we'll also understand four different components the knowledge of technology the writing ability organizational skills detective and people skills these are the four skills that are needed for every technical writer now what's the meaning of technical writing who is a technical writer technical writer is a guy who is able to explain complicated concepts in clear and easy to understand words if you can start with a complicated piece of technology and if you can write content in order to explain to a to a non expert how to use the technology then you are considered to be a technical writer so that's the primary job of a technical writer so as a technical writer you will be expected to first understand complex technology where are needed the kind of technology that's being used in the industry and once you understand it you should be able to explain it to others who are not experts who are amateurs or novices with using the technology and that is why technical writers are highly in demand because their ability is to simplify even complex technology using easy and simple vocabulary simple sentence structures so what are the skills that you will need as a technical writer two major skills number one you need to have strong organizational skills you need to be able to organize the content because once you start collecting the information collecting the data that you need to create the technical content sometimes the content itself could be huge you will have to organize it in the right order in a logical sequence and then start working on it so having strong organization skills is an essential criteria for a technical writer ability to organize things in logical sequential manner you also need to have people skills and investigative talent people skills because as a technical writer you will be able to you will be required to interact with different types of people within the organization and at times outside the organization also because often the data that you need the information that you need may not be available with one single person or at, at one single location you will be required to interact with different categories of people extract and receive information for them and only then you'll be able to start producing the technical content so you definitely need to have people skills and also investigative talent the ability to investigate the ability to inquire the ability to ask appropriate questions to elicit the appropriate responses these are the major skills however as you see on the screen there are four important skills that you need to possess as a technical writer you need to have the knowledge of technology definitely need to know how to use technology when i say how to use technology it doesn't need advanced more complex or highly complex technical aspects but most of these tools are related to the software at times hardware tools also depending upon the kind of organization that you are working with as a technical writer you should also have the writing ability obviously otherwise how you actually become a content writer the ability to write in english is mandatory and sometimes you may have to also translate the english content into other languages regional or international so having writing ability is also another essential skill for a technical writer and then as we already said organization skills are also essential and then detective and people skills when i say detective investigative skills and people skills we will look at each of these areas more in detail in the next couple of videos so in the comment box below this video list out the four essential skills needed for a technical writer please do that before you go to the next video So welcome. Let us now look at the first skill that is needed for a technical writer, which is the knowledge of technology. Now, it is not necessary to be a software programmer or an electrical engineer, or it's not even necessary to be a hardcore tech guy. However, you should be comfortable with the basic knowledge about technology that you will be documenting for which you will be creating the content. For example, let's say if you want to become a software technical writer, you need to understand about the operating systems, how software gets installed, how the hardware interacts with the software. and you should be comfortable using various software applications like ms office or adobe pdf etc etc and at times depending upon the requirement you should also understand the basic concepts like databases you no know, networking the, the internet file saving file creation file management and of course you should be willing to learn new technology as and when needed based on the context based on the situation so that's about having the knowledge of technology as a technical writer you should also be able to figure out how the hardware or software works now usually when you are required to start writing content 
technical manuals or technical guides for a product you will anyway have access to the information related to that product however in addition you will also have the opportunity of interacting with the guys who might have created that product the product designers or engineers or programmers who might, who might have programmed that product you will anyway have opportunity to interact with those teams of people who worked on creation of the product and you will be given the opportunity to collate data from various sources however you should be willing to do that you should be able to figure out how the hardware and software interacts with each other and if your job requires that you write about something highly technical obviously you need to have a higher level of knowledge let's take for example if i required to document a c++ programming tool you need to have a basic understanding of c language and also c++ programming isn't it you don't have to be an advanced expert or a professional in the programming field but you need to be able to understand the basics of programming that is the fundamentals and when needed it is aware to most of the employers today most of the clients who will hire you that you will anyway have to learn about new developments in technology as and when needed based on the type of project that is assigned to you type of work responsibility is assigned to you however you as a technical writer should have enthusiasm should have the willingness to learn new things particularly technical and preferably you should plan to subscribe to computer magazines or online mailing lists or you may choose to join some groups online or offline wherever there are discussions happening about technology that way you'll be able to keep your yourself abreast of the latest trends in the industry and as you learn how to use the new software software and hardware there will obviously be many issues the issues that are usually faced by freshers who first time try to use the technology now when you start creating the technical content let's say for example you are required to create a manual for a software often you will be required to first use that software so that you get hands on experience so that you also get the first hand perspective the way a fresh user will understand the software and your experience using that software plays a very vital and critical component critical role in the way you produce the content manual for that software please also understand though you are initially not aware of how the software works once you start using it once you start understanding it you will be able to start writing the manual and your perspective your approach when you start first using it with complete ignorance it can be a valuable resource also for you because as a fresher when you start using a software or a hardware you will have a completely fresh perspective compared to someone who's already experienced using that software or hardware so that fresh perspective that you get by using it for the first time will help you write an effective manual because you will be able to put yourself in the shoes of the user who is expected to use the technology for the first time it in fact becomes an asset your ignorance regarding the technical aspect actually becomes a valuable asset for you as a technical writer and as a technical writer you will also be required to understand many concepts without any additional inputs or without any assistance at times because in the organization maybe you are the only guy who is responsible for writing the content you may not have any colleagues or peers who can assist you in that so you will be required to take complete responsibility for first understand the concepts and being able to document them and we already said that you will have the opportunity of interacting with the product designers or product creators the programmers etc who have created the software or hardware so that through interaction with them you will be able to understand more about that product and you will be able to produce better technical content however understand that most of the times the product developers they tend to work stretched hours they because they work against aggressive deadlines tight deadlines so they may not be able to spend time explaining to you how things work and so sometimes it will be up to you to learn about the product without any assistance without any help from them of course at times you can get information from other people also who know about the product or who themselves are learning about it for example there could be service engineers there could be the support teams there could be trainers or customer service representatives because these guys are getting trained themselves for assisting the customers who use the software product or hardware product you might be able to get information and input from those teams also and save the limited time you get from the developers for all the hard questions that means what are time that you get to interact with the actual product designers and developers you have to use it very efficiently so ideally you should be ready with the kind of questions you want to ask them so that you get straight answers so in this video we understood the first skill needed for you as a technical writer that is the knowledge of technology we understood that you will have opportunity to interact with the product teams and product designers we also said you don't need advanced technical qualification you don't need to be an engineer or programmer you should be able to work and produce content related to any type of product or software you should be willing to learn things even if there's no input from others you should be also willing to 
enthusiastically interact with people to collect information and that is where we said you have to utilize your time efficiently when you get the opportunity to interact with the developers and product creators so before you go on to the next video quickly summarize what you understood in the comment box below this video let us now look at the next skill that you need to have as a technical writer which is the writing ability now the ability to break down complicated information into content that is appropriate for the document's audience is very very important because as a technical writer your primary responsibility will be to ensure that the readers are able to understand how to use a product in the easiest way possible and hence you as the writer will be responsible for breaking down even complicated steps or complex technology into easily assimilatable content and that is where your mission will be to create content which communicates information to the reader in the most effective and in the easiest way possible when we say create content it could be text it could also be graphics so your writing should be clear it should be easy to understand it should be clear because you should be able to communicate without miscommunication and as a third trait of your content your writing should be not subject to misinterpretation there has to be absolute clarity without any ambiguity at all it should also be concise and easy to follow so unlike novels or fiction where a lot of unnecessary irrelevant fluff might be there in the content technical writing should always be to the point and hence we saying it should be concise it should be clear easy to understand easy to follow with as less ambiguity as possible it should be very clear crystal clear and the technical writing it should not be confusing it should not be redundant what's the meaning of redundancy the repetition of unnecessary sentences repetition of unnecessary phrases or paragraphs so redundancy should be avoided it should not be wordy wordy means using more than the required number of words that is where we said already it should be concise precise it should not be poorly organized that means it should be sequentially organized logically organized it should not be inaccurate so there has to be accuracy particularly when you are talking about creating help sections for software tools your help section should be as accurate as possible it should be 100% accurate even the slightest amount of inaccuracy is not permitted because the users who start using the software often tend to refer to the help manuals and imagine if there are errors in that if there are uh, if there is a lack of accuracy in the help section how do you expect them to use the software efficiently and sometimes the entire business model will be dependent on using the software or the tools efficiently and that is where the technical manuals the help sections that you write play a very key role in the entire business goals an important component of clear and easy to understand writing is also your ability to use correct grammar and spelling whenever you write the content obviously not only technical writing any kind of writing that you do it is always advisable to check for grammar and spelling ideally you should use a spell check review the content you have written at least two or three times proofread the entire draft that you write before you submit to someone else even before you submit to an editor usually in most organizations after you produce the content as a technical writer the content is handed out to an editor whose job primarily will be to identify any issues with respect to grammar spelling punctuations and structures syntax etc however even before you submit the draft to the editor it's always good if you can actually review the pro- the content yourself proofread it because you will be able to identify any issues before someone else sees them and at times you might also be required to use very very normal casual tone in the content that you write you might have to avoid formal tone if you think that's going to help the reader understand the instructions in a better way you can still go ahead and do that so if creating a document with a casual tone will improve your reader's comprehension then that is more important than following the regular rules of writing because most organizations will have their own you know style guides a style guide is a document that clearly specifies various steps various practices you have to incorporate however if that is going to impediment if that's going to hinder the readability of the content then we are saying that you always have the opportunity of working around that to ensure that the content is easily understood by the readers while writing as i said you'll also be required to follow style guidelines and uh, usually one example is the chicago manual of style you can google it chicago manual style manual of style is the most widely used style guide across the world there are many other styles like apa style mla style etc now some companies decide to use chicago manual of style some companies decide to use the apa style some businesses decide to use mla style so you have to understand what's the preference of your business owner of your employer and accordingly decide to apply 
the requirements of that manual and often some businesses create their own style guides and internally they customize an existing style guide so that it defines clearly what are these various specifications we need to stick to ideally you should go through such style guides if available with your employer or if you are working as a freelance technical writer speak and find out from your client whether this is a style guide he wants you to stick to accordingly ensure you implement all the specifications specified in the style guide now style guides usually specify how you should capitalize a section heading for example or how you should punctuate the bullet lists how you should put in indexes or how you should actually specify the uh, underline italics etc so understanding the requirements of the style guides is always essential before you start working on creation of the technical content so in this video we understood the second skill that is writing ability what are you learned in this video summarize in 3 to 4 sentences in the comment box below this video before you go on to the next video let us now look at the third skill that is needed for a technical writer that is the organizational skills now you obviously will be required to organize information in the documents that you produce so you should have the ability to organize but to succeed as a technical writer you will also need to have the project management and the time management skills because let's take the example of a situation where you may be required to produce a book a technical guide technical help section right so planning a schedule for the book also means you need to schedule your writing time you need to also schedule enough time for many other activities like for example once the book is ready you may want to include some graphics so creating the art also needs time you have to schedule you have to plan for that you should also get the drafts reviewed and uh, as we said that uh, after you produce content probably there's there's an editor who will work on that so editing time has to be figured in the time for indexing the content and finally preparing the final output all these activities have to be considered by you accordingly you have to prepare a schedule the timelines have to be defined and that is where you will need time management skills and also project management skills now what are activities that we listed out just now like for example you know your actual time for writing time for creating art getting drafts reviewed editing indexing preparing the final output all this will be your responsibility obviously you will be responsible for most of these activities however you have to coordinate with other people like maybe an editor or maybe other team members or maybe the graphic artist for producing the graphics for your content so coordination with them will also imply that you need to know project management skills as well because they will have their own responsibilities and for you to meet your own project deadlines it is very very important and critical that you also plan the time management and resource allocation resource management required for each activity so that right from the beginning of your project you are clear about what are the resources needed how much time will be needed who are the people to involve all that has to be clear so in order to ensure that you can meet the project deadline deadlines it is very critical important that the time and the resources required for each activity are clearly defined even before you start working on the content now in most of the companies usually the entry level or the junior writers will be required to create and you know create the schedules and also plans however a senior writer or a documentation manager will need to plan the entire work and ultimately the job the responsibility of creating schedules will be assigned to the entry level junior writers now if you are the only writer in the company you may have to actually handle everything you may have to also look at the coordination with the team you may also have to look at scheduling right from the beginning and it is very unlikely that you will get help from the other team members because each of the other members will have their own responsibilities probably they don't even know what you are into they may not understand the process involved in content writing because i said if you are the only guy working in the company in the, for the content development then other team member other members in the other employees other coworkers in organization may not understand what you are into so they may not even be able to help out or offer their assistance so scheduling and time management will be your primary responsibility and these two are highly important skills in such a scenario so as a technical writer you should also be able to start enhancing polishing your skills for project management and also time management so in this video we understood the third skill that is the organization skills please summarize in 3 to 4 sentences in the comment box below this video what you learned from this video please do that before you meet me in the next video
let us now look at the third skill that is needed for a technical writer that is the organizational skills. Now you obviously will be required to organize information in the documents that you produce. So you should have the ability to organize. But to succeed as a technical writer, you will also need to have the project management and the time management skills. Because let us take the example of a situation where you may be required to produce a book, a technical guide, technical help section, right? So planning a schedule for the book also means you need to schedule your writing time. You need to also schedule enough time for many other activities like for example, once the book is ready, you may want to include some graphics. So creating the art also needs time, you have to schedule, you have to plan for that. You should also get the drafts reviewed and uh, as we said that uh, after you produce content probably there is an editor who, who will work on that. So editing time has to be figured in, the time for indexing the content and finally preparing the final output. All these activities have to be considered by you accordingly you have to prepare a schedule. The timelines have to be defined and that is where you will need time management skills and also project management skills. Now what are activities that we listed out just now like for example, you know your actual time for writing, time for creating art, getting drafts reviewed, editing, indexing, preparing the final output, all this will be your responsibility obviously. You will be responsible for most of these activities. However, you have to coordinate with other people like maybe an editor or maybe other team members or maybe the graphic artist for producing the graphics for your content. So coordination with them will also imply that you need to know project management skills as well because they will have their own responsibilities and for you to meet your own project deadlines it is very very important and critical that you also plan the time management and resource allocation resource management required for each activity so that right from the beginning of your project you are clear about what are the resources needed, how much time will be needed, who are the people to involve, all that has to be clear. So in order to ensure that you can meet the project deadlines, it is very critically important that the time and the resources required for each activity are clearly defined even before you start working on the content. Now in most of the companies, usually the entry level or the junior writers will be required to create and you know, create the schedules and also plans. However, a senior writer or a documentation manager will need to plan the entire work and ultimately the job, the responsibility of creating schedules will be assigned to the entry-level junior writers. Now if you are the only writer in the company, you may have to actually handle everything. You may have to also look at the coordination with the team. You may also have to look at scheduling right from the beginning and it is very unlikely that you will get help from the other team members because each of the other members will have their own responsibilities. Probably they don't even know what you are into. They may not understand the process involved in content writing because as I said if you are the only guy working in the company in the, for the content development, then other team members, other members in the other employees, other co-workers in the organization may not understand what you are into. So they may not even be able to help out or offer their assistance. So scheduling and time management will be your primary responsibility and these two are highly important skills in such a scenario. So as a technical writer, you should also be able to start enhancing polishing your skills for project management and also time management. So in this video we understood the third skill that is the organization skills. Please summarize in three to four sentences in the comment box below this video what you learned from this video. Please do that before you meet me in the next video.
Now the next skill that you will need as a technical writer is the people skills and investigative skills, detective and people skills. To create content, you have first collect the information, collect the data and as we said earlier, you cannot compare technical writing with writing a novel or writing fiction because in a novel, you can actually make up the information, you can create it yourself from your own thought processes and then start writing the novel. But that is not how it works with technical writing because the instructions that you write, the sequential logical steps that you include in your writing all have to be most relevant to the software or the hardware that people are supposed to use. And where will you get that information that you need? Often different sources include the technical specifications of the product, the prototypes right and also the product developers themselves lot of teams have would have worked on the creation of the product right from the product design, product development, product testing. So, you will have to interact with all different types of categories of people that is where you will need the people skills. Now, usually the issue is not with collecting or getting the information, but the most of the time for you actually goes into identifying the kind of information you need to collect because identification of what you need will also directly impact the information that you collect finally and that is where you may have to at times go through lot of humongous amount of technical specifications to find out exactly what you need. So, you will also be you will also have to understand how to filter out information, how to identify the most relevant information that is also another important skill that you will need as a technical writer. Sometimes the information that you need may be available with some other person in the organization or outside the organization, maybe with a product developer or maybe with an SME, SME stands for subject matter expert and these guys are usually extremely busy, they may not be willing to allocate time for you and hence you as the writer should have the interpersonal skills, the people skills, you should learn how to communicate, how to ensure that you are able to persuade and influence them to give you the time that you need, how to get information from them from even the most uh, unwilling, the most uh, qualified expert, busy technical experts and that is a skill that you have to learn and nurture over a period of time. So, in this video we understood the fourth skill needed for a te technical writer that is the detective and people skills. Quickly summarize in the comment box below this video what you understood about detective people skills, then come and meet me in the next video. So, welcome back. In the previous videos, we have understood the skills which are needed for a technical writer. Let us now look at the next concept that is the types of content possible within the scope of technical writing. Now, we already discussed that as a technical writer, you will be required to start with the complicated piece of technology and explain a non-expert how to use the technology the information that you need often is available with someone else. So, you should be able to work with that person to get that information and then you start producing content. Now, the different types of content that you will be required to produce as a technical writer can be classified into three different aspects. Number one, you can classify by the function, you can also classify by the type of document and then you can also classify by the type of readership. Let us look at each of these one by one. First, we will look at classification by the type of function. Now, examples are proposal for new projects, new methods, 
materials and also research problems. So, this usually focus on proposing what one has to or what one wants to do and then sometimes you may have to also involve in recording or setting down details of an action, a decision plan or an agreement. Example documents for that are minutes of meetings, you know business agreements, various transactions to be documented etcetera. Sometimes you may also have to create a reports for a routine or periodic information. For example, organizational or institutional reports, sometimes companies, businesses have annual reports, half yearly reports, quarterly reports, monthly reports, they are also part of the progress reports. Sometimes inquiry related documents have to be documented. For example, surveys, investigations, experiments, tests conducted, research carried out etcetera, all that may have to be documented. At times a document might have the function of informing, for example, information bullets, literature reviews, product descriptions, process explanations. Sometimes you may also have to focus on recommending, providing recommendations through commission reports or suggesting actions through committee reports and at times you may have to produce content with the function of with the aim of persuading, urging conclusions, inferences or convincing to go ahead for purchases. For example, documents like construction bids, grant applications, actions, advertisements, business promotions, all of them fall under this category. And then finally, we also have the training and instruction content, example course materials, reference guides, system manuals, user manuals, etc. All of them are part of the classification by the type of the function. Let us now look at classification by the type of the document. Now, when we say type of the document, Amongst them the first division can be by the uh, following categories like for example, research papers, professional writing, instruction materials, reference materials, bibliographic tools, creating reports and periodicals, documenting regulatory and legal documents, producing newsletters, house journals, etc. Many other primary, secondary and tertiary materials. All of these are examples of classification by the type of the document. Let us also look at the classification by the type of readership. For example, you have uh, professional peers and colleagues classification by the readership. That means some documents that have to be submitted or shared with professional peers and colleagues, uh, documents to be submitted and shared with business persons and industrialists, documents meant for academicians and scholars, documents meant for bureaucrats and government executives, documents to be shared with the general public. Those are the classifications or types possible by readership. So, in this video, we understood the classification of the technical content into three types by the function, by the type of document, by the readership. Before you move on to the next video, in the comment box below this video, mention those classifications, mention some examples of each of these classifications. If required, rewatch this video, summarize your learning in the comment box before you move on to the next video. Hey, welcome back. In this video, we will understand the various process steps involved in producing the technical content. So, this is the technical writing process. Now, we know that technical writing includes many tasks involving visual design, editing and also project management. Broadly, these tasks and activities can be classified, can be actually put into 10 different steps. So, let us now look at the 10 steps involved in the technical writing process.
creating technical content at a minimum requires that we carry out all the 10 steps we are going to look at. So, are you ready? Step number 1, you need to identify the deliverables that you have to produce by the end of the assignment. That means, the final products that you provide to your client or the release to users at the end of the project. Now, these deliverables can include books or online help sections or website pages or tutorials, videos, etc. So, that is the first step to be completed because once you are halfway through the project, if you now want to redefine the deliverables, the entire effort may be meaningless and redundant. That is the reason why even before you start working on creation of the content, which actually starts at the fifth or the sixth step, you have first complete the other steps. And in those other steps, the first step that we defined just now is to identify and clearly document what are the deliverables, what are you going to submit to your client, to your employer by the end of the project. Are you going to provide books? Are you going to provide a helpline, uh, online help section? Are you going to provide content for the website pages or tutorials or videos? All that has to be clearly specified. That is the step number one. Now, step number two, you have to develop an outline or a plan for each of these deliverables. Once you have defined the deliverables, you have to create an outline, outline for each of the deliverables. If it is web pages, what will be the outline? If it is going to be tutorials, what will be the outline? So, that you have to create in step number two. And then step number three, you have to create an overall project plan with a list of all the tasks for each deliverable and the draft schedule also. Since we already have the deliverables in step one and we have the outline in step two, now you have to create an overall plan in the step number three. So, tasks including outlining, creating storyboards, writing, editing, designing visual content, reviewing, all of them have to be considered and accordingly you have to create the overall project plan with a list of all those tasks and activities. Then step number four, you have to design the contents template. Usually most organizations have predefined templates for the technical writing that has to be done. However, if you are doing it for the first time in the organization, you have to design your own content template. Or maybe if there is an existing template internally already being used by other departments or your own department, you have to start acquiring that, you have to start using that in the process. Now, what is a template? A template is a file that actually contains all the paragraph styles, the layouts, other formatting information needed for your content. And that is where the font type, font size, line spacing, paragraph spacing, indent spacing, all those things will be predefined. And instead of doing it every time, usually most organizations create a template. You can also create a template within your MS Word document and it can be used again and again instead of working on creation of the template each time. The template also might contain definitions for a document structure. For example, the structure may require that every list have at least two list items, right? So, items like that will be predefined within the template. And then step number five will be to actually start creating the content. These are the five steps involved in creating the technical content. Of course, we have five more steps. Before we go on to the next set of five steps, let us quickly list out the five steps. You can pause this video, summarize these five steps in the video, in the comment box below this video and then continue watching the rest of this video. Step number six, this is where you have to create visuals including the graphics or the content involving motion and audio. Wherever videos needed, videos are also part of the visuals. Audios needed, wherever you need images, all of those items have to be either procured from existing resources in your company or maybe from outside. If nothing exists, then you have to start creating them yourself. All that is done in step number six. Then step number seven, you have to get the information reviewed by SMEs, by the subject matter experts. Because only the subject matter expert will be able to evaluate and see whether what you have written is as per the required norms. And ultimately, you may have to make changes as per the suggestions provided by the SMEs, by the subject matter experts. All that happens in step number seven. Step number eight, you have to edit the information and then have the material reviewed by a peer, a colleague or a technical editor and any changes that they suggest have to be noted by you. Sometimes some in some businesses, some departments have content edited even before it is reviewed by the SMEs and that is why you have to check with the concerned authority, the concerned decision maker, whether you have to send it for editing after the SMEs opinion or before the subject matter experts opinion. That happens in step number 8. Then step number 9, you have to index the content. We will look at indexing a bit later. Now step number 10, you have to produce the final output, the final material. You have to remove all the formatting, you have to clean up the formatting, any issues that are suggested, get everything ready for the printer, for the webs or even for other delivery formats. Now, usually in a real-time project, 
you will get approximately halfway through step six. By the time you reach step six, sometimes the uh, programmers or the product designers or developers may come back and tell you that they have made some slight changes in the product now, which means you have to rework right from step one. It happens often. It happens a number of times even with us when we are working with our own clients. Now, once you reach this halfway through the step six, for example, you will discover that the developers have added a new feature. And to complete those steps in the development process, see, the developers will say they have made a slight change, but obviously you know that the entire content now has to be reworked. So the technical writing department should use a template-based approach that is where you'll be able to lessen the burden when all such changes happen. Now, some groups go beyond templates by defining a structure that the content must follow. So instead of just limiting ourselves to templates, you may want to create your own outlines, your own structure, so that it is universally practiced across the organization. That way it becomes easy to manage the content for technical writing. So in this video, we understood the 10 steps involved in creating technical content. Quickly in the comment box below this video, ensure that you list out all the 10 steps in your own words before you move on to the next video, where we will discuss the methodology for completing those 10 steps. So welcome back. Let us now look at the methodology. Now one methodology is authoring with templates and with structure. In general, we can classify the methodology for developing technical content into four levels. There are four levels and you see all of them listed out on the screen. Number one, chaos. Number two, page consistency. Number three, template based authoring. Number four, structured authoring. Now the first two levels, that is chaos and page consistency, they exemplify what you should not do when creating content. These are two things that you should avoid when content is being created, chaos and page consistency. And of course, template-based authoring and structured authoring are practices implemented and followed in most of the organizations. Let us understand the meaning of these four a bit more in detail. First one is chaos. What's the meaning of chaos? You know, chaos means confusion. So in this case, what it actually means is that there is no consistency in the creation or the presentation of the content. When number of authors, number of writers are developing content, each of them tend to create the content in their own way, in, their, in a different manner. And finally, users end up with information which is widely inconsistent. So to avoid inconsistency, we should actually avoid chaos. The second concept is page consistency. What does it mean? It means that the content looks the same on paper, right? Whereas, when you look at the source files for the content, there's no consistency at all. For example, let us say, a writer actually, while creating content in MS Word, he uses the tab space. You know, in your keyboard, there's a tab button. You use it to create tab, right? So let's say some, a writer uses the tab spaces to indent paragraphs, whereas some other writer presses the space bar five times to achieve the same look. So you can use the tab space to get five spaces. You can also click the space bar five times to get the same impact. However, on the face of it looks the same, but to actually look at the steps involved, they're entirely different. So that's why we're saying there's no consistency. That's an example for page consistency. So in the chaos and page consistency situations, it is usually impossible to create quality content with a high degree of efficiency because you don't have a repeatable process. There are no repeatable processes in place to guide the writers when they develop the content. And because of that, the writers finally struggle with the process of authoring instead of focusing their efforts on creating information for the product users. And hence, we need to avoid chaos and also page consistency wherever possible. Now, at a minimum, Professional writing departments actually use templates. Template we already defined earlier, remember? It is a definition of the styles, the formatting, layout styles that have to be used. Now, because templates provide predetermined styles, writers don't have to worry about spending time figuring out how to create a particular formatting because they just have to apply the styles that are defined in the template once they create the content or during the process of content creation. To help writers apply the correct styles to content, many organizations also use, they usually write the documentation about the template or they include that information in the department style guide. As we said earlier, businesses sometimes have something called the style guide. Most of the media houses have a style guide. So you have to, if you are fresh in the company, in the department, you have to first get acquainted with the style guide so that you also understand the templates to be used. Accordingly, it becomes easy for you to apply the styles to add formatting to the content that you produce. Now, the guidelines that are part of the templates, they tell authors what styles to apply. Like for example, one sentence might say, use the heading one paragraph style for a section title. 
So you know clearly whenever you want to put up a section title, you have to use the H1 paragraph style, H1. MS Word has got that heading style, right? And often the style guides, the guidelines explain how you have to arrange the content. Some more examples, a heading must be followed by an introductory paragraph. A bulleted list must contain, must contain at least two items. A graphic must have a caption. So these are some examples which are part of the guidelines found in templates. An author's content is reviewed during the editing process to be sure that it follows the rules. So after you produce the content, content goes to an editor as we said. The editor actually checks for all this, whether you have been able to apply the, all the guidelines specified in the template or not. So it's always advisable that you first start applying these guidelines and then you complete writing the content before you submit to the editors. Now, there's also something called structured authoring. Instead of template authoring, this is called structured authoring. Because more and more technical writing departments are implementing structured authoring, a publishing workflow that defines and enforces consistent ordination of content. Now, in template-based publishing, we already said, a style guide is provided, which contains lists of content rules and also explains what template style should be applied. And an editor or any other writer can easily review the content to ensure that the information sticks to, adheres to, and conforms to the upload styles. Whereas in structured authoring, all those rules are captured in a structured definition document, a separate document called the structured definition document, which is actually a template that defines the hierarchy. Writers work in a software that validates their content. And the software where the content they create conforms to the rules in the structured definition document. Look at this. In structured authoring, what happens is, the template that's already created with all the guidelines for style monitoring, all those guidelines are fed into a software. And they, as a technical writer, you are required to start writing content in that software only. And automatically that software will start evaluating whether you are following all the guidelines or not. If not, the software, once it verifies it, it will start making suggestions so that you can embed those guidelines into the content that you produce. Many IT companies today use such software and that is called a structured authoring. In addition to enforcing structure, the structured authoring workflows, they separate the formatting tasks from the creation of the content. First, you can create the content, and then with one click, all the guidelines can be applied. Entire formatting happens within a couple of seconds. So instead of typing content and then applying styles, authors assign elements to bits of content. Now, based on the location of an element within the content's hierarchy, formatting is automatically applied by the software. So you no longer need to apply paragraph styles, or you don't need to know which styles are allowed or not allowed in particular context. All that's the responsibility of the software. However, in some structured workflows, as the author, you don't see the final formatted version. Because the software will later apply the formats, formatting and layout all the style guidelines. And while creating, while using the authoring tool to create the content, you may not see final output. You just have to focus on creating the content, typing it, writing it. Later software, when it produces the final output, it will apply all the style guidelines. And then the final output is handed over to the editor. And we know that once you start focusing on creating the content, the tool will show basic formatting that resembles a word processing document to make the content easier to view. In a later step, the workflow automatically applies all the formatting conditions before the content is finally released to the appropriate teams. Now, are templates and structure really that important? Understand this. The demand for having content in multiple formats is continuously increasing. Because today, sometimes in a department, you might need content that is in the print form. Later, it may have to be put in the website form. Later, in some other form, maybe on the mobile app. So it, having content in multiple form is formats is continuously increasing. And despite this increase in demand, some documentation groups even now have fewer staff members to create all the content. And hence, it is very important to have streamlined processes in place. Because content in the print form should be automatically converted into web form or into some other form. That is possible only if you have a streamlined set of processes in place. And when, only when you start using templates and also structures. That way, you'll be able to enhance your efficiency and effectiveness as a content writer as a technical writer. Now, templates and structure, they also provide the foundation for single sourcing. Understand this carefully. This word single sourcing, it refers to the process of using one set of files to create different versions of content or multiple types of the output. For example, when you say different versions of content, user guides for two printers may have some common features. Now, both printers may have the same paper feeder. So as a writer, you use the content about the feeder in both the manuals and only one of the printers has a memory card reader. So you may focus on creating the instructions only for that information in only one of the guides, right? When you say multiple types of output, for example, in printed books or online help and web pages, as a writer, you don't have to maintain separate source files for each type of output. Because with one single output, the single sourcing methodology will help you produce content for various formats. And you can create different versions of content and multiple output types. And the two are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes there's overlap between different versions and multiple output types. In short, in brief, 
What's the meaning of single sourcing? It means writing content once and producing or using it and applying it in multiple places. Single sourcing actually requires that you create content in a consistent manner and you have to obviously follow a template or a structure to ensure that it's consistent with the required norms. Now the specifics of single sourcing process, it depends on the tools that you are using to develop the content and also create the final output. However, the consistent source files, they form the foundation, the basis of any single sourcing process. Now there's an indirect benefit to following your department's template or structure because it gives you more job security. You don't have to worry about making any mistakes or errors. The moment you start applying and following the department's template or structure, you can rest assured that everything is perfect as per the expectation of the department. So you don't have to worry about job security at all. If you don't follow the standards, you actually create an obstacle to your department's efficiency and therefore you might actually become more expendable because the department might realize you are, because of you only all errors are happening because you're not willing to stick to the structure on the templates. And also many employers like to know that you as a technical writer can understand the importance of applying templates and following structure. And that's the reason why even when you go for an interview for the position of a technical writer, expect always questions regarding templates and following structure. Deviation from template structure might result in non-selection in the interview process. So the focus is always on using templates and hence a single sourcing is the buzzword today. So in this video, we understood the methodology of the content writing process, technical writing process. Whatever you understood in about four to five sentences, do not write essays and paragraphs, just in bullets, one, two, three, four, five, like that. Summarize your learning in the comment box below this video before you move on to the next video. Hey, welcome back. Even before you start producing content, the technical content, it is always advisable to first create document plans and also outlines. So in the next couple of videos, we'll understand about this document plans and outlines. Usually, you probably want to start off immediately the moment the assignment is given to you, isn't it? Most writers are highly enthusiastic, they're excited, the moment they receive a project in hand, they want to sit and start writing the content. However, please understand, you should always start with the planning process first. And instead of spending time on plans and outlines, many writers straight away start writing, later they may realize that they didn't follow the plan, and hence the content they produce does not meet the expectations of the client. And hence, upfront planning and analysis are very important to producing appropriate technical content. So formulating the document plans and outlines is the best way to complete this analysis. Remember and understand that the time you spend planning your content even before you start writing is a very good investment. You will always find the good planning saves you a lot of time later in the project. Now to create a documentation plan and outline for each deliverable, you will definitely need some information about the product. Usually you will get access to the prototype that means a sample of the product or the technical specification which will usually list out the product features. However understand that the early prototypes, prototype means the model, right? the model of the product, the sample of the product, the early samples and specifications usually will not provide all the information that you might need because it is still in the initial stages of development. However, they usually provide enough information for you to start working on the project. And depending upon the sample product that you get access to or the sample specifications you get access to, you have to start preparing a document plan and also an outline. Only with these two steps completed, you should then start creating the actual content. So we will now look at creation of the document plan and also creation of the outline for your technical content. So before we go on to the next video, specify clearly why we need to create a document plan, why outline is needed. Share that information in the comment box below this video. In the next video, we will understand the document plan creation. So welcome back. Let us now look at the need for preparing an outline of your document before you start producing the technical content. Writing the outline is actually a very important step because this will become a guiding factor when you actually sit and start producing the technical content. Now in the entire technical documentation process, writing the outline is the first step and it is the most important step. because. In the process of creating the outline, you will be able to define what topics or subtopics you want to include and also it will help you understand 
the various resources you have to consider for creating the content. Now creating the outline will also help you break down the entire content into smaller chunks of material. Because when you start preparing the outline on paper, you know that you will be able to number them in either topics or subtopics or bullets that you want to use. In the process, you will get complete clarity regarding the number of modules, number of submodules and all the content that needs to be generated. In fact, for many people who have to start working on large projects, for example, creating a help manual, creating a help section for a software usually involves humongous effort. In such cases where the project is huge, the content writers, the technical writers might find it very intimidating to start with. Often they get lost, unable to decide where to start. So if you create an outline, you will be able to focus on just one section of the content at a time. You don't have to worry about the entire project that needs to be completed. Because as you start working through the outline, you will get clarity and that clarity will help you move forward at an accelerated pace. Now, what goes into the outline? To write the outline, you need to know what the end users have to achieve. Once they start using the product, what are the various features they need to understand? What are the various features that they need to use? Keeping that in mind, you have to start working on creation of the outline. And of course, the best option is always to start with the prototype, the sample product, the beta version. Because if that is available, it will give you a fair understanding of what features can be included in the product. You should also go through the specifications. Often, the product designers, product developers usually prepare a set of specifications even before they start creating the product. So if you go through the product specifications, it becomes easy because once you read every bit of the information that you can get your hands on, you will get complete picture, complete understanding of what has to be included in the outline. Now sometimes, this outline might also include product design documents, the marketing plans you have to consider, the business plans and interface design documents that are available. Considering all this, you will be able to produce a better outline, a more comprehensive outline. Now, the user content for related products is also very useful for gathering ideas about what your document should contain. Based on your research and also the information that you are able to collect, you have to figure out what the users have to achieve through the software or through the product. For example, let's say the product you are documenting is a graphic software. Now, users often plan to convert graphics from one file type to another. So accordingly, you have to include those options in the outline, converting JPEG to, let's say, bitmap or uh, PNG, converting Word document into PDF or PDF to JPEG format. So you know, because users have to use the software to convert graphics from one file type to another, you will decide to include it in the outline. Similarly, if the product is a printer, users will want to know how to print on envelopes. Printing on A4 size paper is the default process anyway. You'll include that in the outline. However, you'll have to look at what other options are possible. Printing on envelopes is an example. This is where your first-hand experience with the product will become really, really useful for you. As a new user, you have to place yourself in the shoes of a new user, and you need to figure out how to complete certain tasks. Finally, you will write down what you discuss for other users. You have to use the mindset of a new user while you figure out what needs to be documented. Now, once you prepare the entire list of tasks, you will have to obviously organize them into an outline. When we say outline, topic, subtopic, etc. And if you think that the tasks would be better suited to more than one deliverable, accordingly, you have to plan to define the layout and design for your outline. Now, how many deliverables should be there? Couple of things you have to consider, some questions you have to ask yourself to decide how many different deliverables might be there are listed out now. Let's look at the first question. Do you have different audiences with different information requirements? For example, usually it's common to deliver a book or online help for regular users and another version for the system administrators. Now, providing the two sets of content separates out the day-to-day -day tasks from the high-level tasks that only users with special rights on the system can perform. So you have to decide whether different audiences will use different features of the product or the system. As we said just now, advanced users might need more uh, technical inputs, whereas regular users might use the day-to-day -day tasks. So all of that have to be considered by you before you start deciding what is to be delivered. So probably one guide you have to prepare for the advanced users, one guide for the freshers, one for professionals, that is seasoned users, etc. The second question you have to consider is, how much information do you have with you, even before you start creating the content? 
all these questions have to be asked when you sit down to start preparing the outline. Now, if you're delivering, looking at delivering, let's say about 100 pages of information, you can probably put everything in a single deliverable, even if you do have multiple audiences. Because 100 pages together can become one single booklet. However, let's say you have a total of 1,000 pages of content for a single product. Then you may want to separate that into modules or into, you know, based on the user interface, etc. So you may want to separate the material into different deliverables. So dividing the information into different sections like that will make it easy for users also to find what they are looking for. Sometimes if you go through the manual or the help guide that comes along with a refrigerator or an LED TV, you would notice there are various sections in that. Instead of preparing different sections, as we are saying, if you think that a total of 1,000 pages of content has to be delivered, then ideally prepare them into separate chapters or units and accordingly plan your outline. The next question you would ask yourself is, do you need to deliver information in the different media forms? One, one usual approach, the common approach is to deliver the interface help or task-based information in the out online help, but to provide conceptual details in the printed documentation. Understand this carefully. Usually, every software will have an online help. Sometimes products also will have an online guide. For example, let's say if you have purchased a mobile, you know you can always download the soft copy help section from the internet, from the appropriate website, from the relevant website. Alternately, you know that along with the box that you get when you buy the mobile, you also would have received the printed manual. And you would notice that the online version and the printed version are not exactly the same. The usual approach that most companies follow is that the task-based information, wherever you need to understand how to do a couple of things on the mobile, specific features to be used, all of them will be part of the online help. However, conceptual details like the features or specifications or you know resetting, etc., all of that could be part of the printed documentation. So you decide whether you want to create separate versions for the online, separate version for the printed form. The next question you would ask yourself is, are there any delivery issues that you need to consider? For example, let's say most of the content is placed on the user system as part of the software installation process, then you should always provide printed installation information as well. You know why? Let us say you have purchased a printer, and the printer comes with also help manual, which probably gives a clear description as to the drivers you have to install in your computer. Now, you want to take a printout of those drivers using the printer. Now, that's a catch-22 situation, isn't it? Because you have not yet installed the drivers, the printer will not work. Now, to ensure printer works, you know first you have to install the drivers, but to understand how to install drivers, you want to take a printout of the manual or the help section. So this is where you have to ensure that a soft copy is always available online. So accordingly, you have to identify any delivery issues that the user might face and then decide to prepare the outline. Now, how do you write the outline? Where and how? Usually, the word processing programs like MS Word, they have all the features that we need to prepare outlines because MS Word comes with all the different formatting options also. So instead of using a rigid outlining structure with Roman numerals, etc., it is always advisable to use headings, bullets, sub-bullets, etc. However, please understand that there is no single defined way to develop the outline. Whatever you think makes sense, please follow that. And obviously, once you do it once or twice, you'll get a hang of it. You will also receive feedback from the end users if possible. And then you can continue to refine the way you prepare the outlines for future guides and manuals. Your outline can be part of your documentation plan or a standalone document. Remember, we already discussed documentation plan in the previous video. In this video, we're looking at outline. So we're saying now that the outline can always be part of your documentation plan. It can also be a separate standalone document. But always be sure to get the outline approved by the entire technical team or your client or your manager. Because once you prepare the outline, later, Making changes to the outline will imply that the entire content has to be changed. So it's always advisable to get the outline approved before you start creating the content. Now your manager or a more expensive writer can also help you identify any sections or subsections you might have forgotten to include in the outline. Of course, if you're working as a freelancer, ensure that you speak to your client, get the approval from your client, because that way you will know that everything is streamlined. There will not be surprises later in the future. Note that for deliverables that include audio and video, you need to write a script or draw out a storyboard instead of just creating an outline. Because when you want to create audio or video, what you say in the audio video is very important. So it's always advisable to first write, prepare a transcript, submit it to your client for approval, and then start working on creation of the actual content. So that is about outlining. In this video, we understood various aspects of preparing outlines. So in the comment box below this video, in the form of bullet sentences, summarize what you learned in this video before you move on to the next video. Avoid writing essays or paragraphs, just bullets.
Welcome back. In the next couple of videos, we are going to understand the various tools that you might want to use as a technical writer. Because once you create your document plan on the outline, you need to start creating the actual content. So before you start working on the content creation, you need to ask yourself, do you have all the tools that you need to complete the entire project? So what are the tools that you need? Now these tools can be classified into different types. For example, we have content development tools, we have graphics tools, rich media tools, the help or web authoring tools, file conversion tools and other helpful software. We will also look at some ergonomics related aspects. So in the next couple of videos, we will look at each of this more in detail. In the comment box below this video, list out these categories of tools that you understood before we move on to the next video. Welcome back. In the next couple of videos, we are going to understand the various tools that you might want to use as a technical writer. Because once you create your document plan on the outline, you need to start creating the actual content. So before you start working on the content creation, you need to ask yourself, do you have all the tools that you need to complete the entire project? So what are the tools that you need? Now these tools can be classified into different types. For example, we have content development tools, we have graphics tools, rich media tools, the help or web authoring tools, file conversion tools and other helpful software. We will also look at some ergonomics related aspects. So in the next couple of videos, we will look at each of this more in detail. In the comment box below this video, list out these categories of tools that you have understood before we move on to the next video. So let us start our discussion regarding the content development tools. The most important tool that you will need as a technical writer is obviously the tool that you will use to write the actual text, the technical content. Now we know in the world today there are many word processing and document processing, desktop publishing packages which support template based authoring. Obviously each of them will have its own advantages and disadvantages. However, note that you may not use a document processing tool if your department creates only online content. Because if it is going to reside online, most often many businesses have their own online tools, online containers. You have to log in and produce and create content and save it there itself. You will not have the need to use any document processing tool. Document processing tools are usually used only if you are preparing the content offline. And if you are working in a corporate environment, usually the company that you are working with will have their own tools already predefined. So whatever your manager or a team leader or your client lets you know, you need to use that tool only. You may not have a free hand to decide and choose whatever tool that you want to use. Many technical writers use a basic word processing program and we know MS Word is the most often used tool. Although Word is very adequate for short business documents, it is actually not designed for long and complex documents and often it becomes unstable when you try to maintain very lengthy documents. Let's say if you prepare a Word document with about 2000 pages, imagine lot of images or you know equations or text, graphics, tables, etc. Because we said technical writing can might contain such kind of elements also. The entire Word file might become unstable. Saving it could be painful. Retrieving that, uh, opening that file also at times could take a lot of time. And hence, for writing documents that will be printed, you will need a tool which will fulfill this criteria. Totally, there are five criteria you have to consider. Number one, it should be able to handle many embedded graphics, as we said just now. And it should be able to give you a facility to number the steps and figure captions automatically. And you should be able to create complex tables, maintain cross-references, and also generate indexes and table of contents. 
usually once the entire content is ready you will be required to prepare an index and also table of contents now if it can be done automatically through the tool it's a good thing otherwise you may have to create it manually yourself so these five items this list of five items also applies to content in pdf format pdf you know stands for the portable document format a pdf file actually maintains the formatting of a printed document but it gives you benefits of online content such as hypertext cross references if you want to create hyperlinks and link to other web pages other sources it becomes easy to do so in a pdf document the advantage of using a pdf format is that it, ha it has all the features that you will need for online and it also has the features of a printed document which means alignment etc is freeze no one can change that unless they convert that into a document again and of course ms word and pdf are two of the most widely used tools today so a good choice for printed and pdf documents is actually a software called the frame maker software frame maker software is specifically used for creating and maintaining long technical documents now taking advantage of frame maker's powerful document processing features can actually improve your productivity by reducing the amount of time you have to spend on the document maintenance process itself if you plan to create different kinds of output from your document you have to keep in mind that you will need to find an output path from your source document format to other formats for example online help and html if you are using then this is applicable however please note that frame maker is also another widely used software for creating printed and pdf documents particularly if the content is lengthy in nature now if you are producing graphics intensive shorter pieces like a newsletter or a magazine then you may want to consider dtp software desktop publishing software like for example indesign adobe indesign or quark express these are two widely used software for preparing newsletters and magazine kind of formats these packages are less oriented towards book production but they are better than frame maker in producing the full color and highly designed documents now if your content needs to look like a very expensive annual report these two tools are very suitable for that quark express and also indesign often businesses publish annual reports and they want to ensure the annual report looks professional formal looks expensive because it's a one in a year thing once in a year thing isn't it so businesses are have enough budget assigned for that that is why to ensure that you lend an expensive look for the annual reports you might want to use quark express as well as indesign and if you are working in a structured authoring environment you may use a tool for authoring in xml xml stands for extensible markup language instead of using a document processing like ms word or pdf xml is a specification for storing structured content as text if you are not aware what is xml and if you really are keen about getting into technical writing you want to become successful as a full time employee in technical writing you have to obviously learn xml some amount of html also will be useful so we have understood in this video the various content development tools that are widely used by technical writers in the comment box below this video quickly summarize the list of the tools that we discussed please do that before you move to the next video welcome back let us now look at the graphics tools to create the screenshots illustrations and also other graphical elements which should be part of your technical content you may have to use various graphic software for example for screen capturing what is screen capturing if you want to take snapshots of the items on your computer screen usually when you create the help section for software or for you know various websites you may have to take screenshots right so if you are writing about software you will definitely need pictures of the software and screen capture software is one tool that will be handy for you similarly drawing if you want to draw shapes then you may have to use a tool for drawing likewise graphics processing or graphics editing for example if you want to change a file format one format to another format jpeg to png or png to bitmap etc or if you want to edit the image slightly to touch up or to crop to cut out the graphics part then you may have to use the graphics processing and editing software now some software packages like paint shop pro they help you handle both the screenshots and also graphics processing however most drawing tools do not provide the graphics processing and vice versa now hijack that's the name of a tool paint shop pro another tool and snagit snagit they are popular for taking screenshots on windows machines by default within your computer if you are using windows operating system you will have a tool called the snipping tool s n i p p i n g 
it is a free tool readily available in your windows operating system you can use that for taking screenshots however if you want a tool with more advanced features like for example editing or making some slight touches touch ups etc after you take the screenshot you may want to use snagit s n a g i t snagit or you can also use plain shop pro and then hijack is anyway available now this is for windows based computers if you're on the mac then snaps pro s n a p z snaps pro is available for unix if you're using unix operating system you know there is something called xv that's the name of the tool for screenshots Note that most operating systems have a built-in tool for screenshots, just like Windows. We already mentioned the snipping tool. Now, if you need to create flowcharts, you you can use Visio V I S I O or OpenOffice.org. OpenOffice Draw. That is a free tool available for drawing line art. You need a package such, such as the Adobe Illustrator. That's the name of the tool. For graphics processing or for editing, you use a tool such as Photoshop or PaintShop Pro. These are various tools that can use for creating graphics. Now, a clipart package is also useful if you need to embed icons within your technical content. What's the meaning of an icon? A short image kind of logo kind of picture. Now, there are a lot of clipart packages available. If you do not have the drawing ability to create the icon yourself, or if you do not have access to a graphics design service, then you can actually plan to use software available online. Keep in mind that you want a high quality selection of clipart, and that some clipart packages have restrictions on the number of times you can use the image, right? So also check for the number of usages. In addition to buying packages of clipart, if you want, you can also purchase individual files from various websites online. For example, iStockphoto.com is an example. iStockphoto, or you can also use Pixabay.com or Unsplash.com. These two websites, Pixabay and Unsplash, they let you download and use images absolutely free, royalty-free images, no copyright violation. So you can use them. You have various types of images available on these two websites. Particularly Pixabay. There are more than 18 million images, 1.8 million images available. That's about 18 lakh images available. And in those images, some of them are illustrations, some of them are vector images, PNG format, some of them are JPEG format images also available. Every need you have for clipart or images are available on Pixabay. If you're not happy with the options available there, you can choose to use Unsplash.com. If you still want some advanced clipart, you may have to pay for it by going to websites like iStockphoto.com or Shutterstock.com. Obviously, the client who hires you for creating the technical content will be more than willing to fund this kind of software. Similarly, if you're working with the company full time, your employer anyway will have access to this clipart software. If not, you can put in a request; they'll usually arrange for it. So we understood in this video about the graphics tools. Let us also look at rich media tools now. Now more and more content is being delivered online. We know that the print medium is slowly being replaced by online medium, and hence you can go beyond the standard images by including videos and also animations wherever needed. Animations are actually called as rich media content. Rich media refers to animations. Now tools like Captivate and Camtasia they record what happens on the screen, and you can use the software to add a narration to what is shown in a clip. You can also use Flash. Flash enables the creation of animations and interactive content, including tutorials or presentations or games. Please understand that the Flash file, once it is created, you will need a player. Flash player will be needed to play it, right? And that player is available for free. However, over the last 18 months, slowly the support for Flash is being withdrawn by many browsers, including Google Chrome. So keep that in mind, and wherever possible, avoid creating Flash files. Only is absolutely necessary use it. Otherwise, as we said, you can plan to use Captivate, you can plan to use Camtasia to record your screen while you explain and demonstrate. You can add a narration with your voice. All that is possible. Now, if you see online ads that include action and sound, usually all those are files created using Flash. And as I said, slowly that is becoming outdated. Less and less number of people, fewer and fewer number of people are using Flash nowadays. So in this video, we understood graphics tools as well as rich media tools. Quickly list out all the tools we understood in the comment box below this video before you go to the next video. Let us now look at the help or web authoring tools. If you are developing the online help section for a software or for a product, or if you are preparing web-based materials, you will definitely need a tool to write the help section, or you may have to create it in the HTML format. For online help, you can use tools like RoboHelp, that's the name of the tool, and also Flare, F-L-A-R-E. 
and to write html you can use tools like dreamweaver dreamweaver is one of the most widely used tools however nowadays it's slowly being replaced by other tools available in the market now if you're going to create documents for more than one type of output for example if you want to create a separate format for print and another format for html now you have to use a text development tool that has the conversion abilities many tools today text development tools come with this feature you can convert into html automatically with a single click so preferably use such tools available then we also have the file conversion tools there are many third party tools which can convert word processing files to other formats including the online help or html html help java help xml etc so converting the material intended for print means that you don't have to spend time recreating the entire content again you just have to pour it into another format using another authoring tool so conversion tools include e publisher name of a conversion tool mif to go mif to go we call it that's another name of a tool robo help and also flare which we already mentioned both of them also have conversion capabilities if you want to convert documents to pdf format you will obviously need to have acrobat or some other tool which can convert files to pdf format acrobat reader lets users view pdf files it is available for a free download online i'm sure you are aware of that the ability to create multiple types of output from one set of files is called single sourcing this is a very important concept which is implemented in most of the technical writing departments single sources single sourcing what does it mean single sourcing it refers to the ability to create content in different types of formats different output formats and you can change from one set of files to another now most documentation departments have some form of single sourcing already being implemented within the department some companies convert their word processing files with third party tools to pdf format or through online help i'm sure you might have heard of uh, the tools online like cute pdf etc cut cute pdf nova pdf these are free tools available online which help you convert ms word formats into pdf formats some companies have more complex single sourcing environments in which the authors have to write small chunks of information which are later combined and transformed into print or pdf and online help deliverables that's about help or web authoring tools and file conversion tools let us also look at other helpful software which are used by technical writers now there are some other software packages and some of them are open source tools which can download absolutely for free from the internet these tools which are not limited to technical writing pro profession include the following number 1 compression utility sometimes when you are writing content as we said earlier let's say as a document with about 2000 pages it can become a huge file the size can be can be pretty large so when the files can become quite large particularly if the graphics and you know tables equations etc it is always good to actually zip that file zipping means reducing compressing the file so that it is easy to transport it is easy to transfer easy to send across and share with someone so we can use zip 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 winzip is available or stuff it that's the tool that is used for mac for windows you can use winzip for mac you can you can use stuff it and these two software help you to compress the files before you send them to a team a member or to the, your client compression is usually essential whenever you want to send large files through email particularly on gmail you know if the file size increases if it's beyond 5 mb google will start asking you to upload it to google drive and hence uh, zipping the file before you start sending it across on the email is always advisable similarly another type of software is the communication software you will need a tool for email most people today use outlook or outlook express or thunderbird and ftp is also used file transfer protocol sometimes the files are too big to send through emails as attachments and that is when we use file transfer protocol ftp which stands for file transfer protocol it's actually a software which will help you transfer the files over the internet without using email because if the file size is let's say 1 gb sending it through email is not at all possible right google may actually block your mail id also now that is where we use the ftp software file transfer protocol software usually any attachment which is up to 2 mb advisable to send through send through email anything which is more than 2 mb always plan and use an ftp software do not forget to use your compression utility if the file si file size is too large even after compression you can upload it through ftp and then share it with the teams that you want to share with on the computer on the pc you can use commands that the ms dos prompt to send files via ftp if you do not know how to use ftp just google download the software called filezilla that's the name of an ftp client and it comes with its own help section user friendly very easy to learn and understand how to use it you can also use online file transfer services like you send it you can also use dropbox we send etc some of them have paid up paid uh, memberships most of them also offer free membership you can upload up to 250 gb sometimes 50 gb which is more than enough to share files now 
you might also need other software for project management or for time tracking because having software that tracks your schedule can be very useful particularly when there are a lot of people working together on a single project microsoft project is a software which is widely used for project tracking and there are also many web based programs such as basecamp have you heard of that basecamp and liquid planner both of them are meant for project tracking they are similar to microsoft project you can also use a web based calendar which your entire team can access directly from their gmail itself that way anyone can see when the deliverables are supposed to be completed you can also create a calendar for free at different websites like yahoo or google now even if you are the only person on a project defining your schedule and setting up a calendar will always help you keep track of the time being spent the resources being utilized and also you will be able to have a hang hand over the control over the entire project then we also have software called the encryption software for example if you are plan to send some confidential information over the internet then you know the information should not fall into wrong hands even if it falls into the an uh, undesirable hands you have to protect the content that is where we use the encryption software and uh, there is a software called pretty good privacy pgp.com or you can use gnupg.org which stands for gnu privacy god for your email keep in mind that both the sender and the recipient will have to install the software both the sender and also recipient will need to access have access to the software if you want to use encryption because during encryption the software will package the entire content and maybe it will actually lock up and the recipient who receives it has to unlock it again he has to use the same software note that in your company you may have to use specific tools for email specific tools for project management etc so always check with your higher ups with your manager and check whether there are specific conf configurations for the tools that are being used internally accordingly decide to use those tools so in this video we understood the help or web authoring tools file conversion tools and also other helpful software quickly in the comment box below this video list out the tools that we mentioned that we discussed then come and meet me in the next video where we'll spend a minute or two couple of minutes on ergonomics let us now look at couple of things you have to consider when deciding to use a specific computer and also ergonomics as you know ergonomics refers to the science that explains the right body posture various other elements you have to consider to ensure that you will not have rsi repetitive stress injury now many new computers have usually more than enough processing capability and the memory storage is also more than adequate however if you are using an older computer it's always advisable to check the system requirements particularly when you want to install some new software applications and you have to check whether there is a specific need for a graphics card etc if you are going to spend a lot of time looking at the text on your monitor it is always advisable to have a bigger monitor and if you are employed by a company then check whether your department manager department head can actually give you access to a bigger monitor now usually it is advisable to have to use a monitor of size at least 17 inches that is when the strain on the eyes can be less and this will help to minimize the scrolling through your pages it, you should also consider using two smaller monitors instead of using one large monitor many systems today can support dual monitors also you may have noticed even in your laptop there's a provision to attach one more additional monitor because that way you can use one monitor for referring to any source of material the other monitor is where you actually start writing technical content many technical writers use two monitors and because technical writers spend a lot of time in front of the computers it is also important to have ergonomic workspace to ensure that you do not undergo any repetitive stress injury motion injuries particularly carpal tunnel syndrome or other problems for like eye strain etc some things that you have to consider about your work envi environment and how you work in it include these three that are listed on the screen number 1 is the height and position of your chair and the keyboard ensure you place them at the right height also use a chair with the right height and also appropriate keyboard in the right position the posture of sitting is important ensure there is adequate lighting also available otherwise your eyes can get strained So that's about the computers and ergonomics. This completes our discussion regarding the toolbox needed for technical writers. Hey, welcome back. In the next couple of videos, we're going to discuss how to get the information which you have to collect before you actually start writing the technical content. Identifying various sources where information is available is very very important. So getting information is what we're going to discuss in the next couple of videos. 
Now, as a technical writer, your primary responsibility is to provide the people with the information that they will need, the inputs they need to start using the technology in the appropriate way. And collecting the information that you need to prepare such a content is the most important and difficult aspect of technical writing. That's the reason why technical communicators are also called as information developers because they develop useful information from various different sources. Now, broadly, the different sources where information is available, sources through which you can collect information can be class classified or categorized into five different types. Number one, technical specifications. Number two, through the prototypes. Number three, through the legacy content. Number four, through developers and subject matter experts. Number five, through user interviews. Let us start our discussion regarding the technical specifications. A technical or functional specification is usually called as SPEC, SPEC. SPEC, it actually is a document written by a product's developers. The product development team prepare the specs and this technical specification document, it explains the product's purpose and also how the product is supposed to work. Usual information that is included in the specifications can be listed out as follows. Number one, lists of menus and menu choices, if it's a software, right, software related. Mockups of the interface, illustrations of the components, if it's a hardware. Lists of features or proposed features. Information about how the product processes data. For example, how a connection to a database works. Information about the product's components, changes from the previous release, schedules for the product's release. All of these will be part of the specifications. And what are the benefits of preparing specifications document? Because a good spec can actually provide you with an excellent overview of the product and it will also help you answer many basic questions about the product which will give you more clarity when you start creating the technical content. When the spec answers all your questions, you don't have to track down a developer, you don't have to worry about going ahead and meeting an SME, you don't have to worry about requesting their time to get the information that you need because everything is part of the specification document already pre-prepared and that is why it's a good solution for everyone. All of them will be happy now because no one needs to be disturbed anymore. You have a single resource in the form of the specifications. What are the drawbacks of the specifications? Most of the specs do not contain all the information that you need. Sometimes they could be inaccurate because the product is not yet completed. Product is still under development. It's only a set of specifications which have been shared with you. And during the process of product development, the developers might come back and make changes in the specifications document. So sometimes the specifications that you get initially might be inaccurate. They may not be updated to reflect the product's ever-changing functionality. And often, the specs do not exist at all. In most companies, even without preparing the specifications document, the product team might start creating the product. So you may not have such a resource available. In short, a really good spec is actually something that's imaginable. It's a mythical creature. So we understood in this video various ways of classifying the resources for getting information. We also discussed the technical specifications document. In this comment box below this video, summarize what you understood, list out these five sources and then meet me in the next video where we will discuss getting information through the prototypes. Third, third development stage called the release candidate. Software is created, it's all almost done for the most part. All features might be working and major bugs have been addressed, solved. It's made available to most of the customers for testing. And this RC release candidate, it should be stable with no crashes. Let us now look at using prototypes as a source for getting information that you need for creating the technical content. Now what does this mean, the word prototype? It is used with little differently in hardware and software. A hardware prototype often does not have all the working parts. It may consist of the product's shell without all the internal components and that's called as a hardware prototype. Whereas a software prototype usually is a proof of concept. The software performs more or less the functions that the final software will perform but the interface is probably not what it will appear in the final product. So we understood now that hardware prototype might actually just be a shell without any internal parts whereas software prototype is actually acting as a proof of concept. The interface will be similar but then the final product might have an entirely different appearance. As a writer, you will have to, you will find that hardware prototypes are very useful because you can often see how the product will look. You can also conclude what will happen under the covers from the design. But software prototypes can be a problem because the content must be very specific about how to manipulate the software's interface. In fact, most of the users equate the interface with the product. 
the software developer might tell you the functionality is the same they just have changed the interface the user interface or the appearance but then your end users don't care about the functionality because they care about how things look so a change in the interface can actually result in catastrophic huge rewriting requirements for the entire content slightly better than prototype software is the pre-release software have you heard of this word pre-release software it is the next version of the prototype as the name indicates this is the previous version before the final version is released and usually every software undergoes various stages in fact there are four different stages together they are called the software release cycle and most of the technical writing content today is is done for software related products and hence i felt that it will be useful for us to have a look at this software release cycle which involves four different stages let's look at them the first one on the screen as you notice it's called the alpha stage in this stage software just you know just has been created some major features are missing or maybe it doesn't work at all expect that the alpha software might at times crash on the system at regular intervals possibly it might be corrupted also if at all possible keep the alpha software and the source files for your content on separate computers and maybe just the basic features might work in the alpha stage and then we have the beta stage where the software works most of the times all major features might be working and this version is often made available to the customers so that they can test and provide the feedback hence it's called the beta testing beta phase expect the beta software to work with couple of still errors and glitches it may crash occasionally but you should be able to identify what causes the crashes whereas in the alpha phase we do not know why it's crashing and many times it can continue to crash at frequent intervals then we have the third development stage called the release candidate software is created it's all almost done for the most part all features might be working and major bugs have been addressed solved it's made available to most of the customers for testing and this rc release candidate it should be stable with no crashes finally general availability software is completely created and it is being shipped out to customers these are the four stages which are involved in the software release cycle though i explain these four stages in some companies the stages could be slightly different of course these release cycles are only general guidelines and hence for the most part breached more than they are followed that means in most companies these four may not be the only development stages in the software for example it is usually common for many businesses to release software that is not ready to be uh, to be shipped out to the customers right and most often this release coincides with the end of a quarter because they know that the sales and marketing teams have to start booking orders for the next quarter targets are there revenue targets are there that's the reason why even before the software is ready even before the fourth or fifth version the final version is ready just with the alpha version you may have to be expected to start working on creation of the entire manual now what are the benefits of prototypes and pre-release software early drafts of the product in the form of a prototype and alpha or beta software they become an excellent source of information for you as a technical writer and if you're documenting the software you obviously should have a copy of the program to write and test your procedures that's the reason why the prototype is made available the same is also applicable to hardware prototypes however there are also drawbacks for the prototypes and pre-release software like a specification or any other source of information if the prototype of the software that you're using is not the latest version if it is not the final version then what all guide or manual that you create might be inaccurate it may not suit the final output that comes out which is being shipped to the customers finally so you have to ensure that the development team uh, whatever changes they make you get access to the new version or at the minimum you should at least be informed of the changes they are making so that you can revise the content that you already prepared in terms of the help section and the software guide or manual note that a good way of keeping track of changes is to get access to the developers bug tracking system most of the product developers they have a separate system called the bug tracking system which they use to keep track of errors and issues that keep cropping up they address that and all of this is documented if you get access to their bug tracking system you will be able to accordingly make changes in the user manual also and uh, at some companies writers can add bugs they find to the tracking system you might also be given access to the bug tracking system you can feed feed in your own data your own feedback your own experience regarding the errors or the crashes that are happening with the software so that the developer team can address that even before the product final version is brought out to be shipped to the customers and if you're taking screenshots of a software interface or if you're creating hardware diagrams it is very important that you wait for the product to stabilize because the final version could be entirely different so keeping in close contact with the product developers can actually help you figure out when it is finally advisable to create the graphics wait until the final product version comes out then only plan to create the graphics inevitably you'll have to retake the screenshots or update the drawings because there could always be some last minute changes happening within the development team 
but you can minimize the amount of rework you'll have to do by waiting as long as possible before you create the illustrations or before you create the you take the screenshots instead insert placeholders that explain what a drawing or a screenshot will show so when you're preparing the manual prepare place create a box empty box put it there with the heading so that later when the final version of the software is ready then you can take screenshots and insert them into the placeholder boxes that is a method most technical writers implement today. Now, small software companies, they are usually known for changing things even at the last minute, just before the, shop, the software is being put on the, uh, on the boxes to be shipped out. If you are working at one of those such small companies, you have to educate your managers about why it is important to ensure that there are no last minute changes. Because your entire content help section that you have written might again have to be rewritten now. You will not have enough time to do that. You can also develop a process which accommodates those changes with iterative releases so that the content is auto-updated along with the software. Of course, changing a product can also cause difficulties for your text. So one good approach is to ask the developers which parts of the product are more stable so that you can complete the guides and manual help sections for those parts and when the other parts are also ready then you can start working on those parts to create the documentation now that will help you to say help you from having to rewrite the entire topic many times before the final product comes out so that's about getting information through prototypes all the aspects and points that we discussed please summarize in your own words in the form of bullet sentences in the comment box below this video before we move on to the next video Welcome back. Let us now look at getting information through legacy content as a source. If you are documenting a new version of an existing product, there is a good chance that the content already exists for the previous version. In some cases, you can use the existing content by updating the text to reflect the changes and added functions. Like for example, let's say you have a software version 2 and now software version 3 is going to come out into the market and your product team is working on that. What you can do is you can actually take existing help section for the software version 2 and see what are the new features that are being included in the version 3 and you just have to update only those specific sections to reflect the new changes happening in the product. Legacy content, the benefits are that it can help when you're drawing up the documentation plans for the new content. You can ask your clients and the content's readers what they like in the existing document and then use the feedback to improve the content for the next version. That's the benefit of using existing content. If the content is well written, you can use it as a foundation for the new material and add, update or delete information as required. Also, working with what is already been written can help you save a lot of time and effort. Reviewing content for similar products can also be very useful. For example, let's say if you're documenting a printer and that's in the same product line as one that already on the market, you may be able to reuse some of the text from the previous product for the content that you now have to develop. Isn't that true? And what are the drawbacks of legacy content? Legacy content can be a problem if it is badly written. Reworking existing bad content to something useful will actually take more time than writing your own content fresh from the start. If the product has changed significantly since the last release, legacy content might be completely outdated. It may not have enough information that you may want to use now for the latest version. And hence, reusing it is not worthwhile. You will run into another problem with legacy documents if you are new in the job or when you pick up a new client. You may review the legacy content and discover that it's poorly written, disorganized and not used for readers. But your client or manager thinks that the existing information is great and they may just want you to make a few updates for the next release. You'll have to carefully help them understand that that is not the case. You'll help them understand that the previous version is completely outdated. This is where you should use your diplomatic skills to solve the the, this type of a problem. You could try rewriting a brief section and explain the improvements that you have made so that they understand what you are trying to explain to them. The best way to add this situation is to ensure that you find out before you take the job what legacy content is already available and the kind of effort that you have to put in to create the latest manual. It is also advisable to review the existing material before you accept the project. You should also make sure that you and your potential employer, both of you agree upon what changes need to be done, what should be the final output. Only when you take such precautions, it becomes easy to use the legacy content as a source of information. And as we said, there are situations where legacy content might be completely outdated. You have to be very careful in such scenarios. We will now look at how to use the developer team and the SME subject matter experts as a source of information for your technical content. The people who are developing a product are the subject matter experts. They are usually highly familiar with the product themselves. So they become the most important source of information that you need. 
not only the developers create prototypes, but they also know which features work, which features should work when they do not work, or what changes are there in the future. All that information is available to the developer team. So good communication between the product developers and the technical writers is very important to ensure that you successfully create your content and complete the project. So what are the benefits of using developers and SMEs as the source for information? Because developers who promptly answer your questions and review content and schedule, they can become your best allies, best friends on a content development project. They review the comments and they can share feedback with you regarding the content that you produce to ensure that the content is technically accurate and their knowledge of how the product is shaping up can actually reduce the amount of time you have to spend rewriting the material in the future. If the developers caution you that particular features are going to change, you can actually hold off writing that material about those features until they let you know that the features are now stable. And that is the reason why keeping a clear and open communication channel with the developers is very important for you as a technical writer. What are the drawbacks? Sometimes developers are very busy working on the product that they might feel they don't have enough time to spend with you to review your documents or your content to validate. And in some extreme cases, the developers may not give enough value to the content that you produce. So they may not even bother reviewing it at all. However, you know that this is a project which is part of the entire organization. So reviews, when then uh, they happen late, they get delayed. And uh, sometimes they're very cursory. That means the developers may just go through, give a quick glance and say, okay, they may not really offer you any valuable feedback. Sometimes the review comments focus on issues such as comma usage or capitalization instead of the actual product features, which it could be hurting for you, right? These are a couple of the drawbacks of using developers and SMEs as the source of information. So to avoid problems with grammatical nitpicking, you can do three things. What are they? Number one, ensure that the content drafts that you deliver to the developing team are grammatically correct and spell-checked and they, that they do not contain writing errors that will distract the reviewers. So also remind the developer team that you need their inputs on technical issues, not on the grammar or spelling or punctuation. If an editor or another writer reviews the work for grammar and adherence to the style guide, tell them that they do not need to focus on those issues because that will anyway be taken over by the editing team later. Also create a sign-off sheet and attach it to the draft or use your department's electronic workflow tools for tracking the draft content through the review process. Because once the developing team go through that and provide a review or the feedback and they approve it, you need to have that documented. Their approval should also be documented so that later they can take the responsibility for the feedback they have given. So requiring reviewers to sign off on the reviews, it makes them more accountable. And it can also provide you some protection later if any technical errors come up. Because you can always say this has been submitted for review by the developing team. They've already reviewed and approved it so that that is when it has been sent out for printing. So always ensure that the sign-off sheet is also attached and you take their approval. Let it be also documented. Getting a solid review from the developers is very important because only the developers know whether the content is technically accurate or not. And only when it goes out to the user, the user might be able to give feedback. But till that time, the developer team is the most important source for you for information. Without the thorough review by the development team or the subject matter experts, your content may not be as useful to the product's users. So in this video, we understood getting information through developers and SMEs. We looked at the advantages and also the drawbacks of using them as a resource for your information. Quickly summarize your understanding in three to four sentences in the comment box below this video before you move on to the next video. Welcome back. We will now understand how to use the user interviews as a source of information to create the technical content. Who is the user? The person who is supposed to finally use the product or the software, isn't it? The software, hardware, etc. So conducting interviews with them can also be an excellent source of getting information for your content. You write the content for the product's users, so it makes sense that they could provide you valuable information during the writing process. Unfortunately, this is the most difficult way of getting information. By talking to users of a product, you can get first-hand information about how the product is really used. And because the, they are the guys who finally use the product, they can tell you what they stumbled upon, what they have been able to identify. They can show you the most frequently performed tasks, which can help you figure out in what order the task should be described in your content. You can also understand how the explanation should happen in the written content. That's the benefit of using interviews with users. Sometimes an interview with a user will prove that the document's outline does not reflect the tools used in the real, real world. So you may have to revamp, redesign the entire structure of the outline. And note that it is also important to ask users how they find information about your company's products. Many of them we know today use Google 
people go to google they search for information instead of directly going to a company's website for identifying the document the manual or the guide and uh, that is the reason why you should consider this also as part of your strategy when creating the technical content because knowing the terms and phrases that they enter into a search engine can help you refine the search engine keywords which are associated with your company's online content that way your content can also be search engine optimized however there are also drawbacks of using interviews with users what are they number one tight budgets and aggressive schedules on content development projects usually may not give you enough time to go on and conduct interviews with the users because interviews are usually very expensive time consuming whether you do it in person or on paper or through a questionnaire or through phone or online whichever way lot of time is consumed through the interviews and also they tend to be expensive because people are involved in this and if, even if you manage to get access to customers for the interviews sometimes you might end up with individuals who are not the actual end users of the product you may be talking to a person who supervises the people who actually use the end product and the supervisor may not have first hand information about how the product is being used his orient his perspective of how the product should be might be entirely different from the perspective of the end users that way your content mental go for a toss if you depend upon the supervisor's opinion so you have to be careful that's one drawback of interviews with users for new product you may not know who the users will be because first time if the product is being launched the developer team might know but if they don't share the data with you you may not know who is they going to be the end user which makes it very difficult to identify such a user to interview them and although technical communicators often act as user advocates by providing information that the users want and need there are many situations where this may not give you the true picture if you are documenting a company's policies and procedures in addition to how to use the product you may need to talk with managers and supervisors to ensure that you get the complete information about the corporate policy for your documents now this corporate information may conflict with how other users would like to use the same product that's the reason why you have to carefully tread this area conducting user interviews is a time consuming affair is an expensive affair and at the same time it may not really yield the results that you want because of the reasons we already discussed so in the comment box below this video in one sentence explain the advantage the benefit of using the user interviews another sentence about the drawbacks if you plan to get information through user interviews please do that in the comment box below this video before you go on to the next set of videos Hey welcome back in the previous videos we already discussed the introduction to technical writing the types of content possible the process steps involved creating the document plans and outlines we also understood the various tools that you might want to use as a technical writer then we understood various sources through which you can get information now we will look at the actual steps when you start writing the content once you have created a documentation plan and drawn up the outlines and identified your information sources it means you are now ready to start writing the content while writing your content you need to tailor the content to the audience you have to break down a task into discrete steps and then decide when to use graphics and tables so broadly there are four different aspects you have to consider number 1 you have to consider the audience for which you are writing based on the profile of your audience you have to accordingly customize your writing style you should also look at the style and the terminology that you use then the topic based writing and finally you should also learn to manage schedules sometimes there could be challenges with respect to the changes in the timelines you should be able to manage them as well in the next couple of videos we will discuss each of these four items more in detail let us start our discussion regarding how to write the technical content we will start with discussion related to the audience to create useful content you must address your audience at the right level for example if you are documenting a product used by workers who have less computer experience you may need to start explaining right from the basics right from the operating system and procedures for example you may have to explain the difference between the uh, right click or uh, you know the mouse left click and the right click the single and double mouse click etc 
However, if you are documenting a tool used by C programmers or C++ programmers, if you try to explain about single click or double click, it will be completely inappropriate. It will also, it, it can also annoy, irritate and agitate, disappoint the readers, isn't it? When content underestimates its audience, the users become very frustrated with the information and they may begin to doubt its accuracy and even its usefulness and such content ultimately becomes a failure. So ensure that you assess the audience level accordingly to produce the technical content. For that, the one suggestion given is the KISS principle, K-I-S-S, which stands for keep it simple stupid. It definitely applies to technical writing also, along with any other content writing tasks. But keep in mind that writing for your audience does not mean that you should be patronizing or condescending. You should also be careful about making assumptions about your audience based on the demographics, their education level. The rule of thumb for technical writing is that you should write at a level which is easily understood even by an 8th class student. You can use software to check your documents for complexity. There are many software which can actually read through the content that you have written and let you know what is the level at which the reading is possible. The software will tell you whether it is the level of 7th class or 8th class student's ability. However, some guidelines on what writing an 8th grade level really means can be listed out as follows. Number one, always use clear declarative sentences. Avoid jargon, avoid slang, avoid idioms. If you need to use complex terms or acronyms, first define those terms, explain the meaning of those terms, then only start using those terms in your writing. Always use headings, paragraphs, bullets, and also steps to structure your writing into manageable chunks. Avoid writing essays or paragraphs. All this is part of the technique called KISS, K-I-S-S, which stands for Keep It Simple Stupid. Then, you should also use inclusive language, which is sometimes derided as political correctness. It is true that some phrases can sound awkward. For example, any words that refer to the gender, like his, his himself, her, herself, etc. But it is possible to write a document that uses inclusive language without being obvious about it. For example, look at the sentences that are listed out. First one, the fintech software helps the user manage his finances. His. The fintech software helps the user manage her finances. Fintech software helps the user manage his or her finances. Fintech software helps users manage their finances. Fintech software helps you manage your finances. If you look at the first two options, his and her, they refer to specific genders. So they are considered to be not inclusive. Now the use of the so-called generic he in the first sentence, it could be construed as including, as including women, isn't it? However, it might annoy many readers, so it is best to avoid it, even if it is technically and grammatically defensible. Option two, if you look at, this might be acceptable if you are writing for an all-female audience by using the word her. And option three is inclusive because it is clearly obvious that you are trying to be inclusive because you have used both the genders, his and her as well. Consider the fourth option and fifth option now. Both these options let you avoid the words like he, his, him, her, etc. And hence, this is a graceful way, a better way, more diplomatic way of including different genders. This is said to be inclusive language using words like there or your. I hope you understood that. Now, there are a number of questions you would ask yourself to get an understanding of your audience. In fact, there are seven questions. Number one, first one, what is your audience's educational background? For example, if you are writing for a college set of college professors, you can make assumptions about the level of literacy and education. However, if you are writing for, let's say, lathe machine operators, you have to accordingly use simple vocabulary. Second question is, what is the demographic profile of your audience? For example, where do they live? How old are they? Is English their primary language? If not, you may have to decide to write the content in some other language. And if you are writing for teenagers, do not assume that, they, that including references to the latest trends in the popular culture will make your content more appealing to them. Pop culture tends to change very quickly. So your references can become dated within a couple of weeks to months also. And the audience might realize that you are trying too hard to appeal to them. If your audience has limited English proficiency, it is always a good idea to use graphics, images, wherever possible to convey your main points. Of course, you can also consider translating the content into their language. That's always possible. Then the third question, what is your audience's level of computer knowledge or their knowledge about the hardware? Professional computer users such as programmers or system administrators have different content requirements compared to other people who might be just novices using this technology. Next question is, how much do readers know about the subject matter? If you are documenting how to use a legal database, the lawyers who use it are probably experts on the content in the database. However, they are unlikely to be computer experts. In this case, you don't need to worry about explaining legal terms, but you need to definitely explain the technical terms related to the computer field. If your product is a database of legal information for the general public, you cannot assume that the reader will have legal knowledge or, com or computer knowledge. So you will have to explain both legal terms and also computer terms. One more question is, how motivated is your reader? Does the reader want to use the product? 
if you are writing about a digital camera you can probably assume that most of your readers are interested in using the camera and they want to learn so that they can start taking good pictures however what if you are writing about a database application that's replacing a paper filing system in an office the clerks who have been using the paper filing system for years now they know how to use the old system but now they need to learn the new system the computer based system which may not be very popular in such a case your audience's motivation could be very low and the lower your audience's motivation the easier or the shorter your content should be don't make it too hard or too complex for them to read and understand a more highly motivated reader is more willing to invest some time reading the content to learn about the product ultimately the guide that manual that you prepare should help them motivate them to go ahead and start using the product isn't it two more questions what are the users requirements what do the users need to do with the product do they need to know how to do everything or just how to use a few couple of important features now this question will help you assess whether your information should be strictly task oriented or whether it should include reference information also accordingly you have to decide the next question is do your readers have any physical characteristics or limitations that affect their reading ability these limitations will affect how you design and deliver the content for example older readers or readers with limited vision will not appreciate small and cramped fonts readers who are color blind people are color blind will not notice that you have cleverly color coded headings for them they will not able to differentiate between the colors that you have used if your audience includes people who are blind you need to make sure that your content is comprehensible to someone who hears it or works in bailey language also answering this questions the seven of them that we listed out now will help you understand your audience and write content that better meets their requirements so always ask yourself these seven questions when you start to write a technical content so in this video we understood the audience parameters various things you have to consider before you start writing the technical content various aspects related to your audience quickly summarize those seven questions that we discussed in the comment box below this video before you come and meet in the, meet me in the next video where we will discuss style and terminology related concepts Let us look at some concepts related to style and terminology you have to keep in mind when you start writing the technical content. Before you start writing, you have to be sure to consult the style guidelines for your project. Remember we mentioned earlier, every company might have their own style guideline. The Chicago Manual of Style is an example. Most projects have editors that establish a project's guidelines and they will define when to capitalize words, when and what terms to use when referencing parts of the product, etc. If you learn the guidelines before you start writing, you can prevent many errors in your text and you will be able to ensure that you don't have to rework later in the future. You can divide the content you need to create into several different categories. Again, you can find volumes of academic research on this topic. However, we will limit our discussion only to four of them. What are they? The information or the content that you can create can be classified into these four major types. Number one, interface information. Number two, reference information. Number three, conceptual information. Number four, procedural information. Let us look at each of these a bit more in detail. We will start with interface information. What is the meaning of interface information? Interface information explains the function of a particular part on a product. For hardware, you will often provide interface information as an illustration, an image or a photograph. For example, you show a larger view of the product, then zoom in on a particular part. You can further point out specific parts with callouts which consist of lines and labels. However, for software, you can provide labels electronically. Many applications include tool tips, that's a separate section, which are pop-up labels displayed when the user rests the cursor over a particular item for a few seconds. You might have noticed, in some websites, when you bring your mouse on top of the menu bar or some boxes or tab tabs or buttons, you will see text that appears as a pop-up. That's an example of a tool tip. If you're developing content for a software application, you can also provide context-sensitive help, which is triggered when the user selects an interface item and then a button or a key. For example, F1, we know, always gives you the pop-up as a help section. A small window with a sentence or two explaining a particular window or button is displayed or the online help opens up and displays the topic associated with the item. This is called interface information. Some writers provide a list of all the interface items in a manual's appendix. Consider whether the effort in assembling this information is worthwhile or not. If not, ignore it completely, avoid it. It is not likely that your readers will read an appendix just to see all the interface items explained. However, linking online interface descriptions to the items on the interface always gives immediate assistance to users. Building context sense to help also can be technically challenging because it requires that you work closely with the software developers and you have to use some complex tools. Note that many help authoring tools have context sense to help capabilities built in. But if you are working in an authoring environment based on the Darwin information architecture, which is called DITA, 
your process will probably not accommodate building context sensitive help. So whenever you want to create context sensitive help, check with your developer team. Check whether they are okay with providing you access to the complex tools that they themselves are using for it. And sometimes they may say that this is not used at all, this is not required at all. Then you take a call in discussion with the client or with the higher up or the key decision maker, whether you want to include the interface information as part of your technical content. The second type of content is called reference information. It refers to the data that readers need to look up. So it's called reference. A dictionary is a great example of reference information. A standard dictionary provides an enormous amount of information about words, but it does not tell you anything about how to write the sentences, isn't it? So reference information assumes that the reader knows what to do with information. It provides content but no instructions. In technical writing, reference information includes the glossaries and the lists of functions for a programming language. If you have gone through a book on a programming language, towards the end you will have a glossary section where the list of all the functions are provided along with the glossary. Writing reference information is not particularly difficult because the information is usually highly structured and organized in a way that's not up for debate. However, you can create a skeleton for each reference item and then just fill in the required information. What's the advantage of this? The advantage you get from online formats such as clickable indexes or full text search and hypertext links is that they are particularly useful when applied to reference information. Now in a book, you can provide information alphabetically and give readers indexes and cross references, but online they should have the provision to click on an item and see the reference information. So you have to consider making reference information available online to make the searching faster and also more powerful. Because on many websites you would have seen there is a separate knowledge base or a help section with a search box available. You just key in the appropriate keyword, you will get access to the relevant links pages where that relevant reference information is available, isn't it? When writing reference information, you have to keep in mind that users reading it are typically looking for a single piece of information. For example, they may want to know how to use a certain function and nothing else. So instead of providing access to an entire help section, you should give them a provision through which they can actually reach out to only that page where the information is available for that certain function only. Giving them long narrative text is probably not going to help them in any way. And the third type of content is called conceptual information. It is obviously the most difficult information that you will be asked to write. Because when you write conceptual information, you have to provide the why, the reason behind a feature. Reference information tells you what a function is and procedural information tells you how to use the function. But conceptual information, it explains under what circumstances, in what situation, that feature A is better choice than feature B. Typically, the introductory chapter in a book is conceptual. If you have gone through many of the books, first chapter is conceptual in nature. That's an example for conceptual information. It actually explains why the book has been written. Likewise, in the case of a product, conceptual information discusses the product and explains what you can do with the product. In some cases, you might also be asked to explain why your product is better than the competition's product. It is difficult to write conceptual information because it requires an understanding beyond what you can learn by just looking at the product interface. It needs a macro approach. It needs a overall bird's eye view. For example, based on things you see inside a car, you cannot provide the warning that excessive speed is a bad idea, right? The relationship between speeding and being pulled out by the police is not really evident just by looking at the interiors of the car or the features in the car dashboard. And that's the reason why we are saying writing conceptual information is more complex in nature that will need you to have a overall view and a macro approach. And finally, the fourth type of information is called the procedural information. It consists of various steps that tell a user how to carry out a specific task, how to complete a specific activity. Because most of the content has a great deal of information about how to use a product, you will probably spend a lot of time writing procedural information. And it's also called as task-oriented information. Note that if not every product will have task-oriented and reference information. Some of them might have only conceptual information. Some products often have just a task-oriented user guide that tells the user how to install and how to use the product. There may not be any need for a programmer level reference also. So we understood in this video different styles and terminology and we also looked at four different types of content possible, four different types of information. What I suggest is in the comment box below this video, list out the four types of information, conceptual, procedural, reference, etc. and write one sentence about each of them in your own words. Please do that before we move on to the next video. Welcome back. We have been discussing various aspects you have to keep in mind when you start writing the content. We already discussed the audience and style and terminology related concepts. Let us now look at some concepts related to the topic based writing and then we will look at managing challenges with respect to schedules. Some companies write content as topics. That means small chunks of content that are combined to create a deliverable. Often topics are also called as modules and they are divided according to the type of information they present. 
For example, procedural information for a particular feature goes into one topic, conceptual information goes into another topic, reference information goes into a third topic, so on. Now, topic-based content provides the following benefits. What are they? Number one, easy reuse. Reusing and sharing information and topics, it eliminates multiple authors writing the same information in different deliverables, which actually wastes time and introduces inconsistencies in terminology and presentation. So if you use the topic-based content, it becomes easy to reuse the content. You can also avoid multiple people working on the same content. The second advantage is that automatic updating of topics can happen here. When you modify information in a topic, it is automatically updated in the source file in which it is placed. So automatic updating eliminates the need for figuring it out where topics are used in your source files and for making the same changes in different locations. Making the change in a single location, it also ensures consistency. To gain an understanding of how topic-based authoring works, suppose you are writing content for a group of printers that are similar, the advanced models have more features. Now, if you are working in a topic-based workflow, it's likely that you will write a particular set of topics instead of all the pieces that make up one manual or help set. Sometimes, authors don't even see all the topics assembled and formatted as a deliverable because those tasks are handled by another person or by the publishing workflow itself. In many companies, it's a practice to have multiple authors working on different topics and ultimately when they complete their content, all the content is assembled using a publishing workflow so that the final deliverable is produced. Now, something to keep in mind. Note, if you are writing topic-based documentation, don't think that writing consistently is not as important because you are writing smaller bits of information. Follow your departments or your company standards or your client's requirements so that the topic you are writing is similar to your other topics and also that of the other writers. It is highly unlikely you will write all the topics used in a deliverable because I have seen examples of projects we ourselves deliver for clients. Sometimes there could be a manual of about 800 pages. All the 800 pages cannot be written by one single guy. So we assign chunks of it to different authors. That's what we are referring to now. Differences in the style and presentation become glaringly obvious when dissimilar topics are placed one after the other in a deliverable. So it ensures that all uh, concepts related to one topic should be assigned to one technical writer only. That's about topic-based writing. Now, sometimes there are challenges with respect to schedules also. We need to learn how to manage them. As a technical writer, that will also be part of your responsibility. Regardless of whether you're writing interface content, reference information, conceptual or procedural information, you will deal with schedule changes on a project sooner or later. Because often, projects get delayed. Slipping schedules on a project fall into the same category as death and taxes. You can count on them, it's for sure. Now, it's a bit of exaggeration to say that there's never been a project during which dates were met. However, those projects are very rare, right? Even in our own case, often projects sometimes get delayed when we deliver to clients. Slipping the schedules are common because a product's documentation is contingent upon the product itself. If the product itself gets delayed in the production process, the documentation also automatically get delayed. A product is going to change as it is being developed. We all know that. So it's very common sense that those challenges, changes will also affect your content. Last minute fixes, deletions, additions to your product's functions most likely mean that there will be last minute changes to the documentation also. Now a smart documented plan writer knows this and hence he creates a schedule to accommodate changes. A good schedule also contains a freeze point. If the documents are to be delivered on a particular time, a particular day, product development obviously must be frozen on that particular day. Otherwise, how will you complete the documentation? If there are changes beyond the freeze point, the schedule will definitely get stretched accordingly. Last minute changes sometimes mean that there are some trade-offs. For example, to make the deadline for delivery to the printer, you may have to forego a solid edit on a chapter about a function that just added to the product. If you're documenting software that has automatic updates, you could release completed online help topics and then later include the ones you're still writing in a future update. Make this sort of decisions with the involvement of the client and also the entire documentation team. Even though time or you know, lack of time will play an important part in deciding on any of these compromises, it's very important to keep the book's users in mind. Audience should always be a top concern for every technical writer, even when you are in a panic mode because of the last minute changes. After all, if late changes to text make content less audience friendly, you undo much of the work you already completed, isn't it? What's the point in producing that content if it doesn't serve the expectations and meet the expectations of the audience? So in this video, we understood topic-based writing and also challenges with respect to managing schedules. Quickly in the comment box below this video, in three to five sentences, explain what you have learned and then come and meet me in the next set of videos. Welcome back. We are in the last and final module of this course. And in this module, we will discuss how to write task-oriented information. Task-oriented writing, it makes up the bulk of the technical documentation because you know 
technical writing is all about defining tasks, giving instructions for carrying out activities. And so, it is also what beginner technical writers usually write first. When you create an outline for content, you have to usually start by putting together a list of tasks that the user will perform. And to begin documenting the software, you then try performing those tasks yourself and you have to write down the steps needed to accomplish each of those tasks. However, creating solid task-oriented content, it requires a lot more than just writing down what the user needs to do. That is the reason why we have included this additional module on task-oriented information in this course. In fact, this process of writing task-oriented information can be defined, classified into different steps, about 8 to 10 of them. When we say task-oriented information, we are actually referring to the elements of a procedure, isn't it? Every procedure will contain a set of tasks and we as technical writers have to write down, document those tasks carefully. Whether it explains how to use a piece of software or how to bake a cake or task-oriented information, everything generally has the same elements. The steps requiring action by the user, information about the results of those actions, graphics, tables and maybe notes to clarify what the user has to do. Note that some companies take a more minimal approach by eliminating leading sentences or information about the results of completing a step. Let us now look at various steps involved. We will start with step number one, introducing the procedure. Before readers dive into a list of steps, they would probably like an idea of what they are about to accomplish. So a leading sentence or a paragraph will help you achieve that. Often, all that's needed is a simple sentence. If you use simple sentences for lead-ins, make sure that all the lead-ins follow the same grammatical pattern. We call it parallelism. In the course on language skills for writers, we have discussed this. If you are not yet completed watching that course, I encourage you to first complete watching the course where you will learn the language skills for writers. Now, in this context of writing lead-in sentences which follow the same grammatical pattern, let us take an example. If the first lead-in reads as, to print a file, follow these steps, the next sentence also should have the same sentence structure. Like for example, to delete a file, follow these steps. And you should not write it by changing the structure saying, you can delete a file by completing the following steps. That will be an entirely different sentence structure. So when you introduce the procedure, it is always advisable to write leading sentences having the same structure as an example that we have shown here. If necessary, your leading can be a short paragraph, but clearly if you need to explain any prerequisites for completing the procedure. A leading can also briefly explain how completing a task will help you move on to the next bigger scheme of things. Step 2, breaking down a task into steps. You or another member of your team have already written an outline that breaks down the tasks that you need to document. When you start writing the content, you continue the process of breaking down information. You break down the tasks in the outline into the steps within the procedures. By following a pattern in your writing your procedures, you have to establish a rhythm that makes information easier to retrieve. The readers will know what to expect. Like for example, if you notice I am writing step 1, step 2 at the top. So now you know what to expect. You know that the step 3 will follow and then step 4, step 5, etc. Isn't that true? So that is how you, will be, you should be able to establish a pattern in writing your procedures. Now, step 3, including the results. When writing a procedure, it is always helpful for the user if you describe the result of each step. For example, if a step tells the user to select a mini choice, the step should also include the result of selecting that choice and when including the result of an action, do not make it look like a step by assigning a paragraph tag that places a number before the text. If you are working with structure, do not assign a list item element to the result information that inserts a step number in front of the text. Instead, use an element for a paragraph that is permitted within a procedure. So, we are saying follow some norms. If required, rewatch this video again. Then, step number 4. This is for adding notes, warnings and cautions. You can use notes to include information in a procedure that does not quite fit into the action or the result flow. You have to use notes for information that needs to be mentioned, but that is a bit off the topic. And a note contains information that is useful to the user, but does not involve damage to the product or physical danger. Your company's documentation may also include tips, hints and other helpful tidbits. If the information concerns possible damage to the product or danger to the user, use a caution or a warning. Do not use notes there or keep dating as a danger. Usually, a caution tells the reader about a potential problem, but it does not involve damage to the product or injury to people. A warning, on the other hand, may explain certain actions that will damage the components. In a software manual, a warning may point out that selecting a particular button on the interface will permanently delete a file. I am sure you would have seen the, such kind of warnings on many user manuals. A danger notation indicates the possibility of serious injury or death. Generally, danger notations are found just in hardware documentation. But sometimes content for software also includes them, particularly if you are dealing with medical software. 
For example, for software that calculates medication dosages, a danger notation might point out that entering an incorrect weight for the patient could result in calculating the wrong dosage which could kill the patient. Or sometimes in a manual for a hardware product, you might see the, the skull symbol, danger symbol, which indicates and explains how or why, where you should not plug in the device, right? In a template-based workflow, your style guide can give you guidance on when to use and how to format the notes, cautions, and also other admonishments. If you are working in a structured ordering environment, which we discussed earlier, the structure will guide you your placement of admonishments and also applies the formatting to them automatically. Companies often have very specific guidelines about including warnings and dangers to ensure user safety and to reduce product liability. You have to be judicious about inserting notes into the text. Whoever using the notes will diminish their importance and can be an annoyance for many readers. People tend to start ignoring the further notes that they find in the manual. Step number five, using bulleted and number lists. In general, use a number list to denote steps that the user must perform in a particular order. For lists of items or choices, use a bulleted list if there is no order involved. If you have a list of three or more items, consider putting them in, into a bulleted list instead of listing them in a sentence. The bulleted list communicates the same information in a much clearer way. In structured ordering environments, it is possible to specify that the list contains a minimum number of items. Now, many documentation groups do not like lists that contain just one item. So they set the structure to require two or more items in a list. Step number six, letting illustrations tell the story. That means using graphics and you know drawings. Sometimes, whatever the amount of writing that you do, you may fail to still communicate effectively. And that is where we use screenshots or technical illustrations. In content for software particularly, it is common practice to show the dialog boxes and windows a user might see while completing the procedure. In the content about hardware, a technical illustration or a photograph might actually depict the action a user is performing in a step. Note that in online content, animations and video clips can also be included, which are more effective in showing how to complete an action. If you do insert a graphic, do not assume it is self-explanatory. Include a caption for the figure to explain its purpose and if necessary point out particular items with callouts which are the lines and bits of text that focus the reader's attention. When deciding whether to include a graphic, consider your audience. For example, if you are telling a computer novice about how to open a file, you might want to include a screenshot of the standard Windows open dialog box. However, for more computer savvy, that means more experienced audiences, such a screenshot may not be necessary at all because they are already accustomed to using the standard dialog box. If your product uses a non-standard open dialog box, you might want to explain it and show a graphic anyway. In general, it is the writer's responsibility, your responsibility to take screenshots. Now, some writers create all the visual content themselves. If you are lucky enough to be working with graphic designers and technical illustrators, illustrators, you have to be sure to keep them informed about what you need so that they produce the graphics appropriately. Also, check the schedule in the document plan for graphic requests or cutoff dates. Step number seven, organizing information in the tables. Tables are yet another way to communicate information. Often, in technical manuals and guides, you will see tabular formats. To ensure a table's purpose is clear, always use headers on your columns and rows if necessary. You can also add a caption at the top of the table if needed. If your content is based on structure, the structure will specify whether a table should have a caption or a heading row or so on. Remember, we discussed structured information snippets earlier. That's what you're referring to now. Some elements may be optional. For example, you can include a caption, but it's not required. Tables can be helpful in reference material. For example, tables listing commands or the parameters and the users, etc. When you write a manual for, let's say, software programming language, you might want to provide a table with a list of all the commands and parameters. Step number eight, inferences. It is not unusual for multiple figures or tables to appear in task-oriented content, so it's important that any text that refers to a figure or a table should be very specific about what's being referenced. The best way to ensure this, uh, that the user references the correct item, is to use a cross-reference. Step number nine, cross-references in printed documents. In printed documentation, placing a cross-reference can be as easy as inserting an identifier for the referenced item in parentheses. In printed documents, it is sometimes necessary to include the page number for the referenced item when the item is several pages forward or backwards, because the reader self should be able to locate it appropriately. Now, if your text documentation development software has a cross-referencing feature, use it to insert references instead of just typing in the name and page number of the item you are referencing. This applies to workflows based on templates and also on structure. When you are creating printed or PDF-based content, the book's pagination will change as you add and delete content, but your authoring tool will automatically update the page numbers in your cross-references, so you don't have to worry about that. If you manually type the page numbers for your cross-references, you will have to verify that every reference page number was correct before you send it for printing. It's not necessary to include the page number if the reference item is on the same page or facing a the same page in a printed book. Note that sometimes you won't know what pages in a manual will be facing one another until the final production. So verifying whether cross-references need page numbers or not should be part of your production process also. And then step number 10, links in the online content. 
in online content and PDF files, cross references are generally live links. You have hyperlinks created, and when users click on a link, the on-screen content takes them to where the cross reference is pointing to. To make links in online content distinct from standard text, they are usually highlighted with a different color, and we know usually it is blue color that they are that people use on their websites for hyperlinks. Sometimes the link is also underlined. Sometimes it is typed in blue and also underlined. Both are followed. If you are creating online content by converting source files for printed books, your conversion tool will likely create and format the links automatically, as long as the cross-references are set up in a way that the tool recognizes. Generally, if you set up the references with the text development tool cross-reference feature, the conversion tool will process them correctly. Page numbers are not needed in online links, so the most conversion tools are automatically st they strip that information. They remove that information. If you directly order online content, then the tool you are using probably includes a way to quickly set up cross-reference links in the correct format. The links in online content are not limited to just cross-references. Cross you can also point to other content, websites, videos, let's say links to YouTube videos for example, or links to other social media videos, etc. Before linking to any content, first verify that the policies about referring to other sources are valid or not. Many companies have strict rules about linking to online material. Now your client or your employer might not want you to link to other websites. You have to check for that always. And also keep in mind that websites frequently change. So your links might break if the web pages are deleted by that website owner. And hence you should also keep checking the links validity and active, active status very frequently. So in this video we understood the various steps you have to consider while writing task oriented information. And this completes our discussion regarding the technical writing mastery. In this course we actually looked at 8 different modules. By this time I am sure you would have understood that technical writing is a notion. It's really a notion. There is so much to learn and it differs widely from company to company, business to business. Only when you start getting into the actual writing process, only when you get hired by someone to do technical writing, it makes sense for you to spend time going through all this. However, what I caution is, be prepared. Go through this set of videos again and again. This entire course, watch it two or three times until you are thoroughly understood the entire process, the tools, document plans and outlines, from where to get information, how to start when you start writing the content and how to write task-oriented information. All these are actually concepts that I have been able to share with you over the last couple of years working with different clients and also through intense research we have done on Online, related to various technical writing projects. This is an excellent compilation of concepts that you have put together in this technical writing mastery course. Thank you very much for completing this course. My suggestion is watch this course two or three times until you are thoroughly acquainted and if you really are keen to get into technical writing, you have to master all these concepts. You have to digest them. You have to be thoroughly acquainted with all these concepts. However, as I said at the beginning of the course, not every writer wants to get into technical writing. So if you decide not to get into technical writing, you can safely watch this course once and then forget about this because there are a lot of other areas where you can actually success, succeed as a content writer like copywriting. We offer a separate course for that as you know. Business writing, a separate course that we offer. Ebook writing. So I encourage you to complete those courses also. If you are not yet enrolled for those courses, do enroll for those courses and I look forward to meeting you in one of our other courses. Thank you very much. Best of luck.